again and welcome everybody back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 96. I'm, of course, Josh Burton, and again with me today, might I add, permanently, if you missed the big news on Twitter and the Facebook group, yes, I said permanently, joining us again for our second edition together as a unit, as a team, as a squizzod, with me today is Mr. Phil Dexter. Phil, you with us there? Hey, yeah, what's going on, guys? Happy to uh, be a part of the team. Absolutely. And, of course, we got our main guy, the hitting guru on the other side of the things, Mr. Corey Gardner. Corey, what's up, my man? What's going on? Just loving the uh, experience in college basketball, living both dreams of coaching college baseball, and now getting to talk a little basketball. You can't have anything better. Corey, tell the folks out there that maybe don't understand. I think we briefly mentioned it last week, but you just did a big time Twitter space um, where you kind of share, you know, have other college baseball coaches and people in MLB and professional ranks join you. I think you had 1,900 people in there. This is how big time he is, folks. <laughs> and tell the people out there the special legend that hopped in and listened to you talk. Yeah, we had uh, we had Tom House, who uh, is one of the uh, the most well known pitching guys in the entire country, and then we also had the man, the uh, the legend Roger Clemens, join us uh, for quite a while the other night. Also, folks, they had the rocket Roger Clemens in there. Um, baseball people obviously know who that name is. So this is a massive get. Corey's been with ECB now since the inception. He's going on four years with us. He knows what he's talking about, obviously, in baseball. And, of course, hopefully you heard last week he knows what he's talking about, basketball. Massive pickup to grab both gentlemen, expand our foothold. And as I mentioned on the Facebook group, we love Peyton. I can never replace the chemistry I had with Peyton because he's my brother. We started this together. However, life goes on. Things change. You must adapt and grow. And ECB is a brand that continues to strive forward. And that's what we're doing now. So I hope you guys enjoy. Give us time to, uh, again, it's not me and Peyton, but it's a new dynamic with me and Phil and Corey. I hope you give us time to show you that we have this chemistry. We'll continue to build on it and watch as the next calendar year turns. By By this time next year, ECB is going to be to new heights that we've not been to before. So I'm extremely excited about that. Fellas, we couldn't do this show without our sponsor, Manscaped. I know you guys are new, but Manscaped has hopped on board with ECB this year. Big time deal for us. So let me ask you, fellas, I know you've heard of Manscaped. We talked about it last week. I know you've got the products. So let me speak to the people out there. I'm talking to you like Dusty Rhodes used to talk to the crowd back in the 609 or 605 back there in the NWA days. Um Ladies and gentlemen, it's a new year, new me. We've all heard that before, but it's a new year, new me with the global leaders in the below the waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with the Performance Package 4.0 and brand new ultra premium body wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4,000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to promise to the promised land 2022 looks to be. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying crop preserver and crop reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. 
To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their shed travel bag, anti-chafing boxer briefs as free gifts to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine, but in the shower. This body wash smell is great too. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more or to travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with the code ECB. Again, go to manscaped.com, use the promo code ECB for 20% off your entire purchase and free shipping worldwide. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Fellas, we talked off there about it. The Manscaped product. You've heard me ran on them before, but I just got my new body wash and shampoo, and that thing is just as good as their other products. Oh, that and sounds the, about uh, sounds like the ultimate, like you know, silky smooth, you know, baseball just right there, just ready for the grabbing, you know, the the fun play, you know, the catch play, you know, whatever you got in the bedroom. You know, I don't want to take away from it, but it's the perfect, you know, perfect lead pass. I love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, too, your baseball guys, too, man, as, as the summer starts heating up, put a little of that crop reviver, uh, the ball cream on there, feel nice and fresh even in the hottest of days. And, dude, I'm telling you, you can't beat Manscaped. Oh, it's the, it's the ultimate thing for coaching the third base box. Just sitting there, you know your boys are taken care of. That's all it's about. <laughs> manscaped.com use promo code ecb for 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping well, let's get into the task at hand today fellas we're here for episode 96 let's start at the top of the show um just yesterday morning as we sat here our normal recording schedule on sunday afternoon um yesterday morning i think we all woke up to the news of the passing of the legendary um hall of famer former head coach of the university of kentucky wildcats Mr. Joe B. Hall passes away yesterday morning at the age of 93. Um, long life, man. Um, sometimes you, you see people that pass away early, whether it be 20, you know, teens, 20s, 30s, even 40s, and you think, man, they got robbed of a lot of life. Um, Joe B. lived in 93. He had a full life that he was happy and proud of. He got to do a lot more than most people do. He's one of only three people to ever win a national championship as a player and as a head coach. And he's the only one of the three to do it at the exact same school. Played for, obviously, his mentor, his uh, legendary Hall of Fame coach, in which Kentucky's arena is named after Adolph Rupp. Played for him, won a national title back in the day then. Then takes over his alma mater, takes over the program. And the some of the biggest shoes – to fill. And I I will argue looking back that he did that job as well as anybody has ever done a job following a legend. He won a title, he kept the program going, and I heard a thing yesterday and it makes total sense. Without coach or coach Hall, it's done telling where Kentucky's at now. If he would have been like most coaches following a legend and just let the program slip, we could be sitting here now and Kentucky not be relevant at all. They could be a mid of the pack or a former team that you talk about that used to have a bunch of championships, hasn't been relevant in 40 years. But he kept that water and that train rolling. He brought in recruits. He was the first to integrate as far as he brings in Leonard Hamilton in, I think, in 1974. 
he brings Leonard Hamilton in and uh, be the first black coach in the Southeastern Conference. In his first recruiting class, he recruits a black athlete. He's revolutionary. He was known for the roll-up program in his hand, running the one-three-one. Of course, they won the title in '78. You also got to remember he stops Indiana from going back-to-back unbeaten seasons, more than likely, because everybody says that the IU team in 1975 with Quinn Buckner and uh, Scott May and all them, they were better than the team that actually did go unbeaten in '76. But Scott May breaks his arm. That's unfortunate. But Kentucky's a team that stopped that run and knocks them out because of Joby Hall and company in 75. So, guys, we lost a giant not only as a coach but as a human being. Um, there's a giant hole that just left us in this sport yesterday morning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh, you touched on it, but uh, he really did sort of keep the train rolling for Kentucky to be the blue blood that we know them as today. You know, if – if you don't have Joby Hall right after Adolph Rupp, then they they could just be, you know, one of those programs. I don't want to say a flash in the pan because obviously Rupp had so much success and they'd had success before that, but he, he really brought them into the modern day with his success and was able to pass the torch along, um, which very few coaches have been able to do. 278 victories as um, the head man at university of Kentucky, of course, the one national championship. Um. And on top of all that, we've seen it. Gene Bartow follows um, John Wooden at UCLA, not to success. You've watched people follow Coach Knight directly. Mike Davis obviously takes him to a Final Four, but he ends up ultimately fired, not the run anybody thinks. It's hard following a legend. Like, nobody wants that job. Like, you're going to find out next year John Shire following Coach K is not easy. Hubert Davis this year following Roy Williams is not easy. Um, I forgot who the coach was escaping me that followed Dean Smith. It's hard. Uh, Say that again. Bill Guthridge. Thank you, Guthridge. I could not think of his name. It's hard following the legend because you have these expectations of you've got to follow and keep this success rolling. You've got to keep this program on track. Any sort of off bit that's not what the coach before you did to be successful you're criticized for it's hard man and the fact that Joby Hall kept the train rolling kept Kentucky in the hunt kept them winning and ultimately won a national championship before finally retiring and passing the reins off that's I, I think that's the most remarkable job anybody's done to this point of following a legend like that yeah I totally agree I can't even off the top of my head think of a another successful person directly following a legend um I mean Bill Guthridge was okay but he was really just you know he was just there a couple years he was Dean's top assistant um just stepped in to keep the program afloat for a couple years um and that's why Dean had stepped down so abruptly also is to make sure that Bill Guthridge got that job at least for a couple of years um but then you saw how bad Matt Doherty was when he came in um as the true kind of successor and uh I mean, Roy was able to come in and and write the ship, but he was already sort of a legend in his own right by that point. Yeah, it, it's hard, man. So we lost a giant in the sport, a giant human being. If you know anything about, you know, Paul, besides the fact that he was one of the first people to integrate into the South, especially at a time when it was still, you know, it was still tense in a way. I know it was in the 70s, not quite the heyday of the civil rights movement, but it was still, you know, it took that long to fully integrate. He brings in Leonard Hamilton. 
But not just that, like he had this crazy rivalry with Louisville, of course, and coach Denny Crum, only from the years after become great friends and have a successful radio show together. So it transcended, like his character transcended rivalry and sport. People on the opposite side of the fence were speaking so highly of him yesterday. And I think that's all you need to understand about Coach Hall. Moving on, um, obviously RIP Coach Hall, right? But we did have some milestones this week that we hit. Some A pair of coaches hit, uh, ironically, 200 wins in certain venues uh, this past week. We'll start with Coach Matt Painter. He's got his 200th Big Ten victory this week. Um, he's been there for, it feels like, forever now. I think it's like 15 seasons now. But 200 Big Ten wins, that puts him in rare air right there. Yeah, I guess we probably should have brought Matt Painter up just a second ago when we were talking about uh, coaches to successfully follow legends because I believe he was the uh, immediate successor to Gene Cady, was he not? He was. He was actually yeah. in a season coaching waiting as well. Yeah, un- unfortunately, uh, you know, that is one Painter came in. Sit there and took, you know, took over right after Gene and sit there and kind of kept the ball rolling as even improved Purdue. You know, from times they had a little bit of struggles, but right now Purdue's, you know, a serious title contender. And as hard as that is to say about the school up north, but they're playing better and better, starting to figure out the guard play a little bit. The bigs are always there for them. And, you know, they're uh, they're going to be a team that's, you know, definitely hard to reckon with here come March. Oh, completely agree. This might be his best team he's had ever, and he's had some really good teams. But, hey, 200 Big Ten wins, that is absolutely nothing to sneeze at. Like I said, it puts him in rare air. Um, Just to win 200 games alone is impressive, but to do it 200 inside arguably maybe the top conference year in and year out, it's nothing to sneeze at. Um, So congrats to Coach Painter on that milestone. And, of course, back to the Kentucky aspect end of it yesterday – we will get into the ass whooping that the cats laid down on the walls yesterday. Believe that. But Coach Cal picks up his 200th win inside Rupp Arena yesterday with the demolition or demolition of the Tennessee Volunteers. Again, that's another one. He's been there now what, 13 seasons to win 200 games inside Rupp Arena because you only get, in the special way Kentucky does it, you know, playing more neutral games now. You only get so many games in Rupp Arena. That means you're winning the majority of your games inside your home building to be able to get close to that. And you got to have the longevity. So 200 wins inside Rupp Arena, again, that's nothing to sneeze out as well. No, absolutely not. Like you said, that speaks to the consistency he's had there. Um, and not that they had a super rough stretch, but there was there was a rough stretch before he got there. And so to come in and just have that immediate success and to keep it going for 13 years is huge. And I don't think there's any doubt yesterday after, you know, the news of Joby Hall breaking early in the morning that they were going to come out and perform in that game at home. Oh, I can't wait. We're, we're, we're going to get to it here just shortly. I believe me. I cannot wait to talk about that. Um, maybe we'll, I'll save it, but let's go into some of the other action that this week, because fellas, you know, as well as I know, we were in our group chat yesterday, especially on yesterday on Saturday, there was, it was craziness. Like I put it on our Twitter page and I put it in the Facebook group, everything that we think we know as so-called professionals and people who study the game and watch closely and have a watchful eye that we think we know in these breakdowns, we don't know shit when it comes to conference play right now <laughs> because we come into the week. We talked about it last week. Number one, Baylor unbeaten. 
Um, number five, USC, unbeaten, two of the last remaining unbeaten teams. And what do they do this week? Both teams lose twice at home. Like, what? Forget everything else, all the other upsets in conference play that you just make you scratch your head. We have two teams that are unbeaten. We're talking about, oh, well, Baylor's the only team we can trust right now, right? They're the only team we can trust. They lose twice at home. I just threw my hands up and, like, guys, I, I admit I don't have a clue what's going on anymore. You know, hide your wives, hide your kids, hide your home court because nobody's safe right now in conference court. <laughs> it is unreal. It's nuts, man. Like, like home courts right now are just non-existent. You think getting people back, you know, thinking top-tier teams that sit there and you're 100% confident in holding their own, sitting there taking care of business, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, you're just scratching your head and you're so confused. It's like, oh. It, nobody's safe. It is unreal. Hide your rankings yesterday because everybody's coming for them. We yeah, we had three top ten teams go down yesterday at home. Um, unbelievable. Uh, just I, I don't know what else to say. And and multiple more teams were on the ropes. I mean, you had Arizona on the ropes. That's that was an eighteen point game, but Utah was had that game close the entire game and then just completely imploded at the end. Um, well, how about Auburn, too? I think they're going to be the new number one team. We're going to get into them, too. But they had a close one, man. Ole Miss is not an easy place to play. Um, and they were in a they were in a dogfight for a while. They finally pulled it out. But back to Baylor real quick. I mean, we're, we're talking about they're on this unstoppable train, the, long, the nation's longest win streak, I think, like 21 games. Uh, I mean, they looked unbeatable. And then they dropped two. No less at home this week, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. And I want to give a lot of credit to Oklahoma State. Those boys are fighting their ass off for head coach Mike Boynton. They got screwed by the NCAA this year. Obviously, for people who are not paying attention when we talked about it at the beginning of the year, the NCAA comes out this year and says, well, you can't be in the NCAA tournament this year because of all this. Of course, they let them play last year, so they get Cade Cunningham and that you know residual effect from that. But this year they're going to take it out on the boys. They're playing their they're playing their ass off for their coach, knowing they can't make the tournament. And all they do, they're nine and seven now, two and three in the Big Twelve. But yesterday, they go to Waco and just I mean, I don't want to say put it on them because they won by seven, but they look good. They look good. So I want to give a lot of credit to the players um, at Oklahoma State playing for something obviously more than themselves. And head coach Mike Boynton, I think Oklahoma State's got themselves a good one in him. Yeah, like you said, for, with I mean, with nothing to play for, they're they're out there playing hard every night. And you won't say it, but I'll say it, they did put it on Baylor last night. I mean, they had an 18 point lead, I think, at one point in the first half. Um, Baylor got it a little bit close at the end, but it was it was never really in question. Um, they're they're only nine and seven, but if they were tournament eligible, they they actually have a decent tournament resume. Uh, let me go look up. I know the Baylor ones obviously is as big as win as you'll get this year. Let me go look. You guys keep talking real quick, and I'll go look that up. They beat Texas uh, by thirteen already this year. Uh, you know they competed in multiple other games. They've just yeah, been they kind of just like. Yeah, you're right. They had a tough schedule. They got wins over North Carolina State, Texas, and Baylor now. But their losses, I mean, a bad loss against Oakland. Um, but then their other ones, Wichita State, not terrible. Um, Xavier, obviously really good. I like Xavier. Houston, obviously Houston's really good. Kansas, West Virginia, and Texas Tech. 
Yeah, I think even right now at nine and seven, if they were turn of eligible, like they should be, um, I think they're a bubble team right now. They got the eighth best defense in college basketball right now. Well, no, I think the uh, the famous mentality that I sit there and try and preach to my guys all the all the time is, you know, so what mentality. You know, you have nothing. You know, you have nothing to lose this year. Go out there and play your butts off. Sit there and compete, and you know, shock the world when you sit there and knock off these top tier teams. And it's like, hey. Sit there and make them realize they made a you know made a mistake by sitting there kicking you out a year late and all this other stuff. Go out there and play. So what? Do you know what this kind of reminds me of? Not to the exact degree because they're not on like this harsh like you know death sentence, but um, the way they're playing, knowing they don't have any postseason to play for, it reminds me of the early Patino years at Kentucky in a way knowing that they can't go to the tournament, but they're still going to play hard for their coach. They're going to play hard for that jersey. They're going to play hard for that state and the university. And then next year, I think this is going to help his recruiting. Boynton obviously proved he can recruit some. I think this could help his recruiting. Guys are going to love the, the enthusiasm. They're going to see the guys play hard for him. Man, Oklahoma State might be one of those programs to look out for in the next few years. Well, and to Corey's point with the, uh, you know, so what mentality – even if you're not playing for the tournament, you know, they don't have any major NBA prospects, but they're out there with nothing to lose. You know, you go out there and show out for a year, you're going to catch somebody's eye in the NBA and get a tryout, you know, get on a summer league squad, whatever. So there's still a little bit something to play for, for everybody. Yeah. Bryce Thompson led them yesterday in the win over Baylor, 19 points. I like that kid. I think he's got a ton of talent. I, I really like that kid. Um, let's go to the other unbeaten team we kind of talked about that dropped two this week, USC. Um, they lose yesterday to Oregon. We will talk about Oregon because we joked off air that might be the king of L.A. right now. But earlier in the week, they lost to um, Stanford. They had lost to Stanford earlier in the week. <sighs> Man, USC I think is going to be fine, but I don't know. Uh, what's your guys' thoughts? I think the Oregon loss is a little more okay, I guess, if you're going to say one's better than the other because Oregon does have talent. They've just underperformed. The Stanford loss is a bad loss. I think USC will be fine, but I do wonder if we were overrating them a little bit just because of the record. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and they don't have any great win. I mean, they beat Georgia Tech by 14 they beat St. Joe's. I mean, they don't, I don't see a single top 25 win in here. Um, so yeah, it's tough to get to 14 and 0, but, and I mean, they had their game with Arizona postponed. So they missed one of their biggest games. Um, so I, I think they might've just been a little overrated. They'll finish the season ranked. They'll, I, I don't see them winning the Pac-12 though. No, I still, for all it's worth, I still have UCLA. Well, let's go talk about UCLA as well. Um, Oregon, we just mentioned the king of L.A., they beat USC yesterday. A couple days prior, earlier in the week, they go to L.A. and knock off UCLA. To add. The Bruins are finally back playing. Um, they had went, what, 25 days between the Marquette game in early December until they finally played a conference game again last week. So they're starting to get back into it. But Oregon, man, um, go into Poly Pavilion the other night and take down UCLA. What are we thinking about UCLA? Because I still think they have a lot of talent. They lose 84-81 in overtime, so it's not like they got blown out. Johnny Juzang, 23 and nine boards. But I don't know, man. Um, 
I don't know. What, what are we thinking about UCLA? I still like UCLA to win the Pac-12. Um, honestly, I think the win wow. was more about Oregon than it was about UCLA playing bad. Oregon is going to, you know, they're going to finish strong down the stretch. They had a, a terrible start, but Dana Altman seems to have gotten it together. Um, but UCLA is still the team to beat in that conference. Speaking of which, I got a rail on. I posted on our Twitter page. Again, if you guys aren't following the Twitter page, go to follow us. We've got great content between the three of us. We're pumping out a lot of content, and you're going to find more live tweets on that than in the Facebook group unless we're doing a game thread. But I talked about it because it came out before the game that UCLA, the way their athletics was going based upon their doctor's recommendations and all this stupid shit, that there was to be essentially only select family members in the audience. If you look at Polly Pavilion that night, there was like nobody there. It's so, so stupid. We're at this point, you're starting to see doctors, and I'm, this isn't political. You guys know us. We don't do politics, but this is opinion. You're starting to see now where doctors are like, well, this might be the, you know, the, Om- the Omicron might not be as bad. And these guys are vaccinated and got the boosters. So why in the hell can't parents go now? That doesn't make sense. Why can't fans go? You're telling me it's okay for you know, 20 athletes to be sweating on each other and spitting and sharing the same basketball and everything else, but you can't have thousands of fans in there. Come on now. I think that in a weird sense of irony, they deserve to lose that game because how ignorant that rule was. That's just my opinion. Absolutely. You can go sweat on each other, but you can't shake hands. You can't have fans there to sit there and enjoy, make the atmosphere college basketball, make it what it is. Like it's just, well and then we're going to send these same kids after the game out onto campus around other kids you know it, it, it just doesn't make any sense blows my mind the dumbest rule so in a weird sense of irony i almost think that was you know ironic i guess if you should say or fate but oregon guys i, I if you guys go back and listen to my preseason prediction i had them at the top of the conference battle with ucla how may have ucla win in the conference but I love this Oregon team. Will Richardson, I think, in Fale Dante, if he ever starts to play well, he's got the talent. He was a five-star kid for a reason a few seasons ago. They bring in Jacob Young, who led him in the, the win against UCLA, the Rutgers transplant, 23 points against, or against UCLA. Um, Davion Harmon, you guys know I love that kid, um, transfer from or Oklahoma. Oregon's got the talent. Dana Altman – he normally does a masterful job of blending all these transfers and new kids. He does a tremendous job. They've started off slow. They are now 10 and six, three inside, three and two inside the Pac 12. And we all know the Pac 12 outside the top part is pretty weak. Is now the time of Oregon finally maybe starting to put it together? And can they make a serious assault to not only get themselves back in the tournament, but to challenge for the Pac 12 and make a deep run in NCAAs? Because the talent's there. Oh, I think for sure. I mean, their uh, their Ken Palm adjusted offense is creeping into the top 25. They're number 24 now. And uh, they're a team that's always going to hang their hat on offense when Dana Altman's there. Um, their, their defense is still ranked outside the top 100. But then you look at their strength of schedule overall 21st. Um, so it's not like they've had a cakewalk and they've struggled with bad teams. I mean, they've played a really tough schedule. They struggled a little bit, but back-to-back road wins against top five teams is a huge resume builder. Yeah, and they're winners of six in a row now. 
one, two, three, four, five, five in a row. They've won five in a row since losing to Baylor, and people forget they only lost to Baylor by eight at home. I know it's still a loss, but they played the Bears as well as anybody into here recently. Yeah, they have an eight-game stretch of, you know, average to blow average teams in the Pac-12 before they go three straight against Arizona, UCLA, USC. So taking care of those games is going to set themselves up really nice for a run right down the end. I think they may be a team that sits there and, you know, slides up to, like you said, the number two spot or, you know, something happens where USC continues to kind of blunder. UCLA, Arizona kind of split games. And the next thing you know is I can see this team sitting there sliding in and taking that conference and, you know, stealing it away. That's actually a good point. Um, you mentioned their next eight games. That's a real good chance for them to, to build upon what they've already done here in the last couple of weeks. You've got Washington State, Washington, Colorado, Oregon State, Colorado, again, Utah, Stanford, Cal, Arizona State until they get to those three games at the back end of the year. But more importantly, look at their next five games. It's all at home. They get to stay in Oregon until basically the end of the month, playing the likes of Washington State, Washington, Colorado, and Oregon State. Um, I guess it's the next four then. But four games at home, this is a chance for Oregon to really kind of creep back into the national conscience. Yeah. The only bad thing is, is what we talked about, home games aren't aren't exactly meaning quite as much uh, this year. But I think think hopefully they can take care of business against, you know, some – Different levels of teams in the Pac-12. I mean, you got to thank a 500 club in Washington, Oregon State, which is bad. Um, you know, some of those, it's like, all right, sit there and slide some of those away. And next thing you know is you're setting yourself up really well for, you know, to be a, uh, you know, a tournament team. Yeah, um, you mentioned that. We talked off air about some stuff. So this year, you would think after the COVID year, that home court would be so, so valuable. And it is. However, halfway through the year, the win percentage is lower than last year. Last year's win percentage at home was 57.5%. Currently, we said at home teams are only winning 57.1% of the games. That doesn't make sense to me. It's unbelievable. Like, you think having fans back, you know, cheering you know making you know all these different you know arenas back to what they were sitting there having fans packing in fans excited you know you know being loud and you know just making it difficult to play and it's like it's like kids learned how to sit there and lock in and focus and just tune stuff out so much after last year that you know things aren't affecting them it's the weirdest thing to me absolutely i i see one stat though oregon's offense um they shoot 35.8% from three, 66 in the nation. It's pretty good. That's about average. That, 35% to me has always been right around the average mark that you want to shoot from three. But here's the thing that never made sense to me. They are towards the bottom in the nation in free throw shooting. They're shooting 64.8%. I, I don't understand how teams can just be that bad at free throw shooting team. I can tell you how to be be an Indiana fan, and you'll have every exception under the <laughs> Let's talk about your Hoosiers. I know they're not top 25. I thought they'd been playing well. But this week, um, this past week, I guess you have to say, uh, they take a loss to Iowa. Uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena is always a tough place to go. They've got player of the year not only inside the Big Ten, but nationally in Keegan Murray. But it was the other Murray that did the Hoosiers in on that night. Chris Murray comes off the bench for a cool 29 points against the Hoosiers. IU led at halftime, and I thought it looked real good in that game. But then 
Iowa made adjustments, come out and dominated that second half to take a big home Big Ten victory. Uh, your Hoosiers currently set 26 inside Ken Palm. Again, I think they're good, just their fourth loss in the year. But that's one that they probably should have put to bed after being up decent amount there in the first half. Yeah, no, the uh, the biggest thing that always comes back to bite an Indiana team, it's inconsistent guard play and, you know, the turnovers. Um, you know, I think we had 23 turnovers total, and it's hard to win, especially on the road in the Big Ten with that many turnovers, that many lost possessions. Uh, guard play forcing a lot of things that just weren't there, uh, forcing shots, just quick and quick, you know, possessions of forcing up you know, bad shot attempts and all those things. Next thing you know is an eight-point lead. He races down where Indiana held a one-point lead there for the longest time. And then, unfortunately, just kind of, you know, like I said, down the stretch, got away from what the original game plan was. Uh, Jackson Davis has an awesome game inside and kind of get away from him. He only gets eight shot attempts and cashes in for 18 points. And it's like, you got to – we have to stick with him. We have to sit there and settle and figure out the guard play if we're going to make any kind of run. But – what, like you said, noticed, and also keeping Murray from 29 points coming off the bench. I think a lot of credit goes to um, Fran McCaffrey in that because if you notice, uh, TJD is just so dominant around the paint. He'll paint touches and he'll murder you. Indiana in the second half tried to go back inside to him, but as soon as on the catch, Iowa was triple teaming him. They had the man yeah. behind him, and then – they would rotate a guy from the baseline so he couldn't spin, and then normally a guard would drop down. They forced Indiana to take some bad threes or try to dribble it into the paint, which tucked the ball out of TJD's hands. I think that little adjustment threw Indiana off just enough because while they did hit seven threes, Indiana is not a great three-point shooting team right now. Also, foul trouble killed both teams. Both teams, 21 fouls apiece. You talk about Indiana's 23 turnovers and then the free throw shooting, IU 13 of 21 for 61%, 62% if you round up. So those little small things are the difference, especially in these Big Ten games. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, inconsistent three-point shooting and very, very inconsistent you know, free throw shooting has been the name of Indiana for the Archie Miller era. You know, Everybody thinks that just because you brought in a coach, and I can tell you, you know, being in the coaching realm, you know, you, you can only do what your personnel allows you. And, you know, yes, we got better in a lot of instances with, you know, Parker Stewart being, you know, active, bringing in Miller Cop. And it's like, you know, it's just still just going to take a little bit of time. But, I mean, it's definitely uh, the past history is repeating itself a little bit, uh, just kind of inconsistent up and down where you think you, we finally got to figure it out. And the next thing you know, Especially, I mean, we just gave uh, a shout-out to them last week. And this week, we sit there and have a letdown where they get outscored by, what, 17 in the second half? So, Yeah. And, and fellas, look at this. And tell me what you think. So, we've talked all year. And I know you guys are coming on board, but you've caught up with the stuff Peyton and I would talk about. This year, you look at Louisville. You look at Memphis, for example. Elite defenses, terrible offenses. Indiana's not in that boat, but they're like the advanced version of them. Indiana's 12-4, and four, I still think it's a good team. They're elite defensively. 11th in Ken Palm, they are the number one team in effective field goal percentage defense. 
They're number two in two-point percentage defense. So it means any side, anything inside the paint, they're the second best teams that don't shoot 40% inside the arc from them or against them. And they're 28th in defending the three. Teams only shoot 29.1% against them. But plus, you want to throw in another sap block percentage. Um, they're they block 15.2% of the opposing team shots. They're elite defensively, but it goes back to the offense. They're 81st. Not not terrible, not great. Definitely needs to be better if they're wanting to make a serious assault to challenge for the Big Ten, make a second weekend run or anything else. So I think fixing the offense but keeping the defensive identity, I don't think they have to be even great at offense. If they could end the year top 15 defense where they're at and can get that offense into the top 50 range, I think this is an IU team. Talent-wise, they're built to at least make the Sweet 16. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they remind me of a team uh, a few years past that won a national championship in Virginia. Except Virginia, you know, sat there and took care of the ball and sat there and did a few minor things right to really set themselves apart. And that's just the biggest thing that Indiana needs to do is just find that identity of keeping the ball and, you know, really set themselves to a, a little bit better level. And, you know, and things will start clicking. Phil, uh, changing gears from Indiana to Gonzaga, um, you put it on our Twitter page, a stat that I thought blew my mind. Um, Gonzaga had one of their tougher challenges. I thought maybe their biggest challenge in the, that they'll see in the West Coast Conference. They played BYU on Thursday night. Um, they put up 61 against BYU in the first half. Just made it look easy. Uh, end up winning 110 to 84 against a very good BYU squad. Actually, BYU. Oh, well, never mind. I've seen that wrong. So, 110 to 84 against a tough BYU. They come back yesterday. They put up 100 and was it 115 to Santa Clara, give up another 83. This is traditional Gonzaga style where they're putting up a ton of offense. What was that stat that you put out? Their last three games, they've scored over 110 points, I think is what it was. Yeah, so uh, three games in a row, they have over 110s. They had 117 against Pepperdine, 110 against BYU, and 115 against Santa Clara. I believe that's the most points over a three-game stretch of all time. And they're also the first D1 team ever to score 60 points in the first half of three straight games. That's unbelievable. I mean, it shouldn't be because it's Gonzaga and that's how they are. I think you're starting to see Gonzaga – they took the two losses to Duke and Alabama. They played a tough schedule. The, lucky for this year, them this year, they've got a tougher West Coast Conference than they've seen in many years, maybe ever. They've got four teams projected out of that conference this season to make the NCAA tournament, which would be a record. They've retucked the mantle now as the number one offense away from Purdue and Ken Palm. I think we're starting to see a little bit more of – Gonzaga basketball, I think we expected, and we've seen early on when they beat up Texas and UCLA, but it's still that defense and playing tough competition. With that being said, I think Gonzaga's growth is because you're starting to see Chet Holgram finally come into his own a little bit. Yeah, I think it's what it's going to come down to with Gonzaga is running into teams that are physical in the tournament. I mean, you talked about how the West Coast Conference has four possible tournament teams, but, but None super physical. I mean, they all sort of play that mid-major style of basketball, beat you with three-pointers, um, you know, good guard play, that type of thing. BYU's the closest thing 
in, that they have in the conference that they're going to run into in the tournament. And so that that went over them. Putting up 110 was super impressive. Everybody sort of expected that to be a tight game. You, BYU had been uh, talking a little bit before the game. And so for Gonzaga to come in there and put up 110 was was unbelievable. But like you said, Holmgren is starting to look a little bit more comfortable. He's one of the best shot blockers in college basketball. His timing is unbelievable. Uh, bring that up. I was just looking at it. He's 15th in the nation individually uh, block shots. He's blocking 12.9% of possessions. He's on the defensive end, 15th in the nation. Yeah. As soon as he figures it out on the offensive end, he's going to be a beast. And I mean, I doubt we'll see it at Gonzaga because he's definitely going to go pro after this year, but he's on the defensive end. He's already NBA ready. He's got as good a timing as I've seen in the college game all year. And being at seven foot, um, he's now shooting 38% from three. He's 17-34 on the year as a pick-and-pop seven-foot guy. Um, We talked about the block percentage. He's eighth in the nation in two-point percentage. He's shooting 73% inside the arc. You're starting to see Chet Holgram become that, you know, top two, three pick in the NBA draft everybody's talking about. Of course – Everything that Gonzaga does goes through Drew Timmy at 30 last night against Santa Clara. Andrew Nimhard, he's so up and down. I can't figure him out. He's been the same. I feel like he's the same Andrew Nimhard that you've seen at his freshman year at Florida. He, he's a good player. He'll, he'll win you some games, but at times he'll fade. I think the key for Gonzaga, if they are to make another Final Four push, is a guy like Julian Strother. I think a guy like Julian Strother is going to be the key determination of whether they make a Final Four or even win a title this year. Because he's got to be that role player that you've seen last year. Other guys would step up and make plays. I think Strother and a guy like Rasir Bolton, the Iowa State transfer, you know, a dead-eye three-point shooter, he's shooting 44% from three this year, 31-70 on his uh, three-point attempts. I think guys like that are going to be the reason why Gonzaga can make a deep run again. And just one more thing on Holmgren real quick. He's showing one or two flashes a game that I didn't realize he had of just being great off the dribble. He has a nice little jab step, is able to get to the rim and facilitate a little bit. So if they can get some more of that going on, take some pressure off their guards, because they just don't have quite the guard play like you were just sort of alluding to that they maybe had last year with Suggs. They need Nemar to step up a little bit. Julian Strother uh, isn't really a, you know, a point guard type. He's more of an off guard. So they don't quite have that elite ball handling, distributing point guard that they they rely on a lot of times either. Oh, I completely agree. Completely agree. And I thought that guy would be um, not Hunter Salas. I just lost his name. Uh, he was committed to Kentucky and then or switched his mind and went to Gonzaga. I just lost his name freshman. Who? A smart man? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, it'll come back to me. I forgot his name. But anyways, I thought he would be that guy, their main like backup point guard. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Gonzaga putting up some historic offensive numbers. Let's go into it. It was our game of the day this week, or on Saturday, for the Everything College Basketball Pickums. It was a game everybody thought would be much more competitive than what it was. And that was number 22, Tennessee, at number 18, Kentucky. We talked about Coach Hall passing away. The report's coming out because Coach Calipari was very close to Coach Hall. Um, as from the first day, literally, he came in, 
took over the job. Coach Hall was there and just put his hand on his shoulder and was like, hey, man, it's going to be all right. So you're going to be fine. And um, it would always give him advice, jokingly tell him to play a 1-3-1, play the Twin Towers, et cetera, et cetera. And you heard reports coming in the game on Twitter from people close in the program saying that Cal and the team are very focused. Like this one means a lot, not only because it's Tennessee. Tennessee was looking to become the first team ever, ever in the 100-year history or more of Kentucky basketball to beat the Wildcats three straight times at home. Um, There's a lot on that line, but because of the Coach Hall factor, Cal wasn't going to lose this game. No, there was nothing that was going to happen. He was going to make sure. And it was a nice little touching tribute at the beginning of the game to, um, I don't know, I'm sure you guys seen it, where he rolled the program up like Coach Hall did. He had the program in his hand. But not only that, their first possession, the Cats came out in a 1-3-1. Gave up a bucket, but they came out in a 1-3-1. So it was a nice little tribute. But, guys, from the start, from the start, Kentucky just put it on the walls. Kentucky wins 107-79, the largest victory ever against uh, the Tennessee our Tennessee Volunteers. Just a complete domination in ass. Before we get into all the stats, the breakdown, and everything else, your guys' initial reaction to that absolute beatdown. I was really surprised that uh, how – well the Kentucky backcourt played or not how well they played, but how much they outplayed Tennessee's backcourt. Kennedy Chandler didn't play bad, but Ty Ty Washington and severe Wheeler were the two best players on the court. And it, it was not close. The Kentucky backcourt court, and I'll let you get your thoughts here in a second, but the Kentucky backcourt, the, the four guards, Wheeler, Washington, um, Grady and uh, Mintz, combined for 79 points, nine of 16 from three, hit all 12 free throws. Just an absolute masterpiece from the backcourt yesterday. So Kentucky came in and looked like the clear dominant team. They came in and flat out put it on and showed every weakness that Tennessee had. You know, last week we kind of talked, and I kind of thought it was going to be a little bit more of a lopsided game, but it was like Kentucky just showed that – you know, they were easily uh, outmatching Tennessee every point of or every part of the game. There wasn't a single thing that I think uh, Tennessee was even ready to come out and compete uh, with them. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday that's actually a Tennessee fan. And I was checking on them more just to sit there and, you know, make sure they're doing all right. And they sit there and told me, they're like, you oh, they said we expected it. So Tennessee's not as good as what people think. And it was like, you know, they said that we expected Kentucky to come out and dominate. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, the guard play sat there and really set themselves up. You know, the bigs down low kind of separating, you know, uh, Oscar, you know, coming down with 12 boards, just kind of being a, a force inside the paint. And, you know, next thing you know is everything was kind of just rolling for the cats. So as hard as that is to say, I guess I will say it. Fellas, if I would have told you at the start of this game that Tennessee, Tennessee is going to shoot 57% from the field, 47% from three, and put up 79 points and lose, you would tell me I'm full of shit like anybody would. Tennessee, it's not that they played terrible. They had, you know, 20 turnovers. That hurt them. Most of those were Kentucky pressure and forced a lot of them. But it's not like Tennessee. They hit 11 threes, 57% from the field. I thought Kennedy Chandler was phenomenal. 
17 points. Santiago Vescovi, 20 points, right? Josiah Jordan-James, really good defender. He only had 11, but defensively he was able to cause some issues. It's just Kentucky, that team on the floor, um, take all bias away. This was from straight from the tweets of, you know, people inside the industry. Now, some of them openly do not like the Cats. They're like, this is the Kentucky team I envisioned at the start of the year. That team that I've seen at Rupp Arena tonight or today is a team that can win the title. All that stuff. Kentucky, 71% from the field. They missed 11 shots from inside the arc. 27 of 38. They, they shot 78% inside the first half. And then from three, they go 11 of 18, 61%. They missed one free throw, 20 of 21. They had 12 turnovers, not, not great, but not terrible. Um, it was a complete and utter domination. Ty Ty Washington, 28 points. Severe Wheeler, 21. Kellen Grady, 16. Davion Mintz, 10. Obviously, you can't produce this game in and game out, but if Kentucky gives this type of effort and they can start shooting the ball well like that, they're now at the number four in Ken Palm in offense, still the 26th best defense. If the Cats can start hitting shots like that, and I think what makes them dangerous is defensively, I think they're still a little underrated. Even though they got number 26 defense in the nation, they're still underrated as far as the pressure they put on you. The backcourt, they have shot blockers and rim protectors back there. You miss a shot, more than likely Oscar is going to grab the rebound. And then they're pushed the ball. Their tempo is – they ran Tennessee to death. Tennessee was winded. Any missed shot they had, the Cats were pushing and either getting a transition three or a dunk. That Kentucky team right there, if that's the team that's going to show up, the rest of the nation's on watch. I'm not saying they're going to win the title. I'm not even saying they'll make the Final Four because you guys know how hard it is to, to win six games in a row in March. That we see every year the best teams don't win. Normally, last year they did. Baylor probably were the best team, especially for the last two months. But it's rare that we get the best team winning. I'm just saying, if this is the team that's going to show up from here on out, I think everybody else is on watch. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm just curious what you think about it, Josh. I wonder if um, Severe Wheeler, excuse me, being out for those couple games actually helped Ty Ty Washington a little bit, just get some confidence that he. You know, he can be the main guy on the offense. He hadn't, he had played well, you know, the whole season. So I don't want to make it sound like he had been playing poorly, but these last three games, he's really shown a lot of maturity that I hadn't quite seen from him. I mean, he he had 17 assists in the Georgia game, comes out and has 28 points yesterday. Um, I just feel like his game's taken another step since, since that injury. I completely agree because he was forced to Um, prior. I mean, with severe is on there, by the way, severe changes his team. Kentucky's win, they win against Georgia. They win against Vanderbilt without him. Um, they competed to the very end against LSU without him and even without Ty Ty there for the last 10 minutes. But with him, you know, could they have won without him yesterday against Tennessee? Maybe, probably, right? But not like that. Severe changes. But to your point, Ty Ty had to take over the point guard role. He had to go back to what he did in high school. And it did make him develop because he had to see the floor differently. Now when Severe's back, he's able to play both roles. So it makes Kentucky even more unique because they really have three point guards. Severe, Ty Ty, and Davion played a lot of point guard last year and some this year. Um, But Ty Ty, they keep saying he's like the quiet assassin because he doesn't say shit. He don't talk nothing. He just does what he's supposed to. And 
it was so I, – I just sat back and watched yesterday and enjoyed him and Kendi Chandler going bucket for bucket. I talked – I was actually talking to Peyton yesterday a little bit after the game. Um, Kenny Chandler's listed 17th best prospect right now. If he – if there's that many kids better than him right now on the NBA draft prospect, then some playoff team that makes the playoffs this year because he'll be outside the lottery – is going to get a piece that can come in and help them right away. Because Kenny Chandler's phenomenal as well. But Ty Ty Washington showed him up yesterday. I, man, we're just blessed with a lot of talent in the SEC this year. That's all I can say. Clearly showing why the best it's the best conference in the country right now. And, you know, even for Tennessee, it doesn't get any easier. They go on the road to Vandy. They got LSU at home, have Florida at home, and, uh, and then on the road versus Texas. So, it doesn't get any easier. The balls are really out to sit there and step it together and kind of get back on the right train after having that. But like I said, I'm not completely or completely convinced that the uh, the balls are you know what everybody kind of thought either though. Right, this so. seems to be the consensus with them. I still think they're good um, scoring the basketballs again. Uh, they're they're falling that Indiana, Memphis, Louisville category. They just go back to that Texas Tech game. They struggle scoring the basketball. They can defend. They were the number two defense. I think that's what's even more impressive. Kentucky did what they did to him yesterday, the number two defense in the nation, but they struggle scoring the basketball outside Kennedy Chandler. Uh, they're going to have to figure a way to open it up and get easy buckets. I want to finish this off on Kentucky real quick before we move on to another SEC school. The the Cats' three losses are all the same. Like Duke, in a way, Duke just had the best two superstars on the floor that night. Notre Dame. Kentucky couldn't shoot, and then LSU, the Cats struggled scoring the ball. The next four games, we're going to figure out if Kentucky's really got over that hump and improved because the key to beating the Cats this year is do your best to keep them off the backboard. May, hopefully they miss a bunch of shots, and they fold under the pressure and turn the basketball over. I think those are the keys to beating them. Their next four They've got at Texas A&M, who's unbeaten in the SEC. Buzz Williams teams always play hard and physical. That's a tough matchup. Then Saturday, we're going to preview that. I can't wait for it. They go to Auburn. That is the clash of the week. And then they play home against a tough Mississippi State team. Ben Allen's got himself a ball club that are long and athletic and physical. And then you're on the road at Kansas. The next four games, we're going to see if Kentucky's really built for that final four push or not. Uh, and I think Auburn's, you know, a national championship contending team, Mississippi State, Texas A&M kind of teams that are – well, Texas A&M's not even ranked and they're undefeated in the SEC, which is clearly the toughest conference. And then, that, you know, just kind of going through the weeks, I mean, it's going to be a true tale of what they have, what kind of pressure they can hold, and really see where they come out. I think, you know, I think there's definitely opportunity for them to come out on top. I think it's definitely going to take some top-tier play. I'm excited for it. It'll be awesome. Let's stay in conference and let's go to – should be the number one team in my voting eyes. Tomorrow, they're going to be the number one team in the land. I think they deserve it more than Gonzaga. They're the best team in the conference. Let's talk about the Auburn Tigers. Um, they're sitting here now at 15-1, and 16-1. and one. Only lost to Connecticut early in the battle for Atlantis. They've rolled teams ever since then. They've got quality wins against St. Louis and L Murray State, LSU, Alabama now. Um, very good Auburn side, Phil. 
what are we looking at here? They had a tough one yesterday against Mississippi. They played a very good game this last Tuesday against Alabama I'd like to talk about. But let's talk about Auburn for a minute. I uh, I totally agree with you, first of all, on them being the number one team in the country now, uh, especially with the second loss from Baylor. I think you probably could have argued from the Baylor standpoint with only one loss that they hit that spot. Um, I don't don't think Gonzaga has played the level of competition that either of those teams have played. I, their strength of schedule is something ridiculous. You did it in the uh, blind resume the other day. It's like 280 or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think Auburn's definitely the number one team in the country. And Wendell Green Jr., he is just unbelievable, man. He is so good and so fun to watch. He, he takes shots from five, six feet behind the three-point line sometimes. He gets to the rim whenever he wants. He's great in transition. Um, he facilitates. He literally does it all for them. You remember last week, if you guys go back to last week's episode, we talked about the benefits of the transfer portal for kids like him. He's a He was a star at Eastern Kentucky, and then he's able to transfer to – Auburn I posted on the Twitter yesterday Jabari Smith gets all the headlines and he should he may be the number one pick in the NBA draft this upcoming summer but the glue for this Auburn side is Wendell Green he I don't know I think you guys watched the Auburn Ole Miss at least part of the game yesterday every time Ole Miss would make a run to take the lead back or close it in, Wendell Green would just hit a 30-foot jump shot and silence the crowd. It was tremendous. He's only 5'11", but he plays with such heart. He's He is their um, Jared Harper from a couple years ago when they made the Final Four. Yeah, and in that Alabama game the other night, the, the same thing you were just talking about, Alabama would get it close. He'd hit a huge shot. There was about a six-minute stretch uh, beginning of the second half where he was just by far the best player on the court. He hit like a 30, like you said, like a 30-foot three right in somebody's face. Uh, he scored three transitions. I think he had 10 points in like a, a six-minute span or something like that. And he he just really separates himself from, from the other guards they have. But he doesn't start, which is crazy to me. He generally comes off the bench for them. I know it, it's like embarrassment of riches, but I guess it's like if it's working, why change it? Because he plays starter minutes, though. So, well, this is actually something I heard Doug Gottlieb say last year about uh, last year's Baylor team, but it, it really applies to Auburn to me. Is they have the perfect amount of depth. They don't have too much depth where you have guys getting pissed off that they can't get their shots up, but they have eight or nine guys who can literally step up on any given night and fill whatever role, you know, if, if Jabari Smith isn't playing well, they have, um, oh gosh, why can't I think of his backup's name right now? Um, Zeb Jasper. No. No. Uh, Devin Cambridge. Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams. He was, he was good in the Auburn or in the uh, Alabama game. He can really step in. Obviously he's not Jabari Smith's level of athlete, but. He's, he's a really good high-level recruit. They're just, like you said, an embarrassment of riches. If you wonder if there's a weakness to Auburn because of that depth, you look at percentage of minutes played, it's a huge drop-off outside the top three. Jabari Smith plays 67% of the minutes, Wendell Green 68, or sorry, 63.8, and Katie Johnson 63.6. Walker Kessler's at 57.4, and then after that, it's a nice little – well, I guess Zeb Jasper's at 58.1. Then after that's a nice little drop-off. So they really rely on those 
main five guys. Everybody else gets minutes. Like, I got like Alan Flanagan. I thought he's had a, a nice little season so far as a role player. He's only playing 17% of the minutes. Jalen Williams you're talking about is at 38.8%. But Smith and Green and even Katie Johnson, man, that trio is – and Walker Kessler, I got to put him in there. He's really – he started off the season a little slow, the North Carolina transplant. Started the season off a little slow. People are kind of like, ah, what's going on? But you look at him now, and he – like the old Miss game yesterday, he just tuck over in the post. they throw him down in the post, and he would just go to work against uh, – against Ole Miss defenders. He's a good. Everything college basketball listeners, what's going on? It's Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. And I'm here to let you know how you guys can catch up on all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling. You guys can go to youtube.com, type in Everything Pro Wrestling, give us a subscribe. We are over a 1,000 subscribers now, and we have achieved a YouTube partnership If you guys want to be in the live chats, come on in, join us, and talk pro wrestling. We record AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. We also talk about WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and your local indies, and much, much more. So make sure you guys are subscribed to Everything Pro Wrestling. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All the live streams are transferred right onto there. But enough of me talking about pro wrestling. Let's get you back to listening to everything college basketball. He's a good passer out of the post. He can shoot a little bit, um, but he just dominates. He gives them a paint presence that they they need to complement Smith because Smith, even though he's 6'10", he is like that. I think who'd you say he's getting compared to like Kevin Durant because how yeah. his versatility Kessler those leading the nation in block percentage he's blocking nineteen point seven percent of shots that he's on the defensive end for. Well, like you just said, Kessler gives them a really much needed component to their team. I was really curious about that fit when I heard he was going there because they're such an up tempo team. He's sort of more of a traditional post player. Um, I mean, obviously he has some outside shooting ability too, but he's, he's not a, you know, a rim runner. He's not going to get out and transition too much, but when they need a bucket in the half court, he's perfect for just being like you said, he just posts up and he gets whatever he wants. I mean, there's not too many guys that are guarding him that are seven foot. Like he is. Um, it's almost like Edie in a way for Purdue, just great footwork, um, and just dominant with his size, but they, they need that element in their half court game. Yeah, um, you look at, again, we talked about SEC and all these top defenses. We talked LSU 1, Tennessee 2, Kentucky was 26. Auburn's ninth in defense, 16th in offense. They're the nation's best shot-blocking team. They block 22 – basically 23% of shots on the defensive end. Uh, they are such a hard matchup right now, man. They are such a hard matchup because how long and athletic they are. They've got killers like Wendell Green who will step up and bust a shot we were talking about. This is a tough matchup. Like, they have the legitimate case to make a Final Four again this year. Absolutely. And the one aspect of Jabari Smith's game that not too many people are talking about, but you sort of brought it up with their block percentages, is he's a great defender. Post defender, perimeter defender. I mean, he had five blocks against Alabama the other night. Um, He's just – he's great on both sides of the floor, which is rare for a kid his age, sort of that hype around him. 
to put in as much effort as he does on defense. Yeah, and you look at their pace of play. They're 51st in the nation in adjusted tempo. They're at 71.4, which means that when they have to play in the half court, they will. But this is an athletic team that wants to get up and run. That's why I think Saturday against Kentucky is going to be so fun because the Cats' MO is to get out and run. Auburn wants to get out and run. We might see another one of those classics that could end up both teams in the hundreds. I think the matchup comes down to Oscar T against Kessler inside who can get some offensive rebounds. And, uh, you know, I was surprised Kentucky was able to win the way they did with Oscar not, not performing up to his standards so far this year. I mean, his standards are kind of crazy. I I don't think I ever remember somebody averaging 15 rebounds (laughs) with nine points, 12 boards. That's like a career night for most people. Absolutely. But if he's able to, hold Kessler in check and sort of like we just talked about Auburn's going to have those few possessions in the game where they need Kessler in the half court and if Oscar can take that away it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what Auburn goes to Ooh, I'm so excited for that one we'll preview that here in just a minute I swear we'll get to it. I'm so excited to talk about it um, let's finish up our look around the rest of the college basketball from this past week any other games or teams you guys kind of want to highlight that we may have missed one um Corey you got anybody else that want to shine a light on one game that kind of was a big shock to me was Michigan State taking the loss to Northwestern at home. Um, Northwestern had a, a nine-game skid against the Spartans, came in, tried to give it away there at the end, but still sat there and pulled out the win and uh, kind of shocked uh, Tom Izzo and the Spartan crowd. So uh, We talked about – I think it was last week. Maybe we talked about it off air a little bit. Let me turn this down. This stupid commercial thing keeps playing. My bad, guys. We'll just leave that in. I don't care. Um, stupid ESPN. But um, <laughs> I think we talked about it. I don't remember if it was on the episode last week, but I definitely know we talked about it at least off air. Northwestern, they've got to avoid losing games, you know, bunches of games, because prior to Michigan State, they had dropped four in a row, um, including a game to Michigan State in the Big 12 – or Big 10, I mean – they got to avoid those, but they're nine and six. They're 52 in Ken Palm. They've got their 45th in offense. They're basically, we'll put their top 75 most offense and defense. I don't know, man. I, in my heart, I think it'd be cool if they could make the tournament again. The schedule is not favorable for them, especially look at their next couple. I mean, Wisconsin at home, Purdue, Michigan on the road, and Illinois at home before you get Rutgers and Nebraska back-to-back, which could be nice wins for you. Not easy, but this is huge. When you said it was nine – how many? How long have they been losing? It was uh, a nine-game losing streak to them, I think six straight up at uh, East Lansing. So it was a, a nice, you know, chance to uh, kind of flip the scripts, you know, sit there and end the streak and uh, kind of get things rolling, uh, you know, to start over fresh. You know, the biggest thing is with Northwestern is just inconsistency. I mean, they played well. They sat there and kind of had the Spartans down, let the Spartans climb back in. And uh, right there at the end, they sit there and turn the ball over and then sit there and, you know, uh, two teammates sit there and both grab on the ball, get a traveling call, give the ball back to the Spartans, get a foul underneath the basket without time even, you know, going off the clock. Uh, thank goodness uh, a missed field goal kind of, you know, uh, or missed free throw sits there and sets them up they get the defensive rebound to end it. But it's like, you know, they had the chance to put them away multiple times and kind of continue to give the ball back. 
uh, to the Spartans. And, you know, it's like you got to sit there and finally figure out how to put teams away. I mean, looking at their schedule, they lost by six to Michigan State the first time, uh, lost by four to Penn State, lost by eight to Ohio State, lost in double overtime to Maryland. So it's like they've been in a lot of these games. They just don't close out or, you know, they don't have to sit, they don't know how to sit there and, you know, continue all the way for a full 40 minutes, it seems. So I think uh, and, you know, it showed last night where they sit there and tried to, you know, tried to give it another one up. So. Uh, I think, you know, they have the talent. I think they have, you know, uh, I think they're on the verge, but it's like, you know, he, like you said, they got to finally get something to click. And that's a good point. I, I think some of that comes down to these guys just aren't used to winning. Um, they play to uh, win, not play to lose. As far as I can remember, I have to go back and look at the roster, but you know, none of these guys were a part of that team that made history, a few, you know, four or five seasons ago when they finally made the NCAA tournament and even won a game, and almost – oh, I'm sorry, they, they got screwed in that game. They should have won that game um, in the first round. However, um, they're not used to winning, and, like, they're normally getting blown out. So, I think it's something practice you've got to really work on. Like, we all did them in high school and college where you do those drills where you're up by this amount with this much to go, you need to take care of the basketball. So, it was a good win. Um, anytime you knock off Michigan State, they were 10th in the country. They were on a nice little win streak themselves. So that's a huge win for the program. And looking at the Big Ten standings now, it takes them outside of the bottom four. They are – let's see. They're two and four. Well, in two and four in conference, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They're tenth in conference. If you yeah. remember how the Big Ten tournament works out, the bottom four teams play on, I think it's Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you'll play – then. so then the top four teams get a double bye. So avoid yeah. that bottom four where you get an extra day's rest and a less game you have to play, especially for a team like Northwestern that's going to be on the bubble more than likely. That's huge. Staying your keeping your head above water, giving yourself a fighting chance. These wins add up. So it's a big win for them. Let's stay in the Big Ten before we move on to the next segment. Let's go to Phil's beloved Illinois Fighting Illini, 6-0, leading the Big Ten Conference now by a full game over Wisconsin and Michigan State. They're on a six-game win streak, 25th in the nation. I expect them um, in tomorrow's AP poll, if this is done fairly, I, I think they can make a jump up to about 17th, 16th or 17th, considering everything that happened in front of them. Um, let's look at back at their week, because uh, they've got a big week themselves coming up. Phil, I'll let you take it away. Well. Two ugly wins, I'll say that. Um, the Michigan win ended up they, – they pulled away at the end, but I think we texted during the game. That first half was just horrible offensively for both teams. Yeah. Um, and I had posted on Twitter, and I think people thought I was shitting on the guy about Trent Frazier. I love Trent Frazier as a player. He's, he's a great player, great scorer, great defender. He's not the ideal fit to execute that offense. His decision-making isn't great at times. He's, his shot selection is terrible. Um, so they need Curbelo back. That's going to be a big pickup for them when he's able to get healthy, if he's able to get healthy. I know he's supposed to be practicing with the team now. Um, but nice to see a big comeback for him in the Nebraska game. They got down early. We're able to come back in that. Um, we're able to get the offense figured out in the second half of the Michigan game a little bit. Frazier sort of took over down the stretch. Um, 
I know you watched the Michigan game as well. Michigan just had no answer for Kofi inside. Oh, no teams don't. He plants his big ass. I'm I'm actually surprised they don't call three seconds in the paint more on him because he he's kind of like Oscar. They're so strong that they just post up until somebody gives him the ball. But nobody, not too many people do have an answer for him. I do want to give credit to Michigan. Um, I, I actually think the key for Michigan here going forward, uh, Hunter Dickinson did not play, neither did Brandon Johns for whatever reason. I think they said conditioning. But Michigan went yeah. to a zone and they went to a small lineup and gave Illinois fits for most of that game until they were able to pull away. I think if I'm Michigan, I just go, I think a zone and play small ball from here on out because what else do you got to lose? Yeah, nothing. Um, it's it's really hard to watch Caleb Houston on the offensive end right now. He is just struggling so much with his shot. I he he was shooting eighty plus percent from the free throw line going into the Illinois game, but even struggled at the free throw line. You just you see he doesn't have any confidence. Um, yeah, it it was a rough game for Michigan, but you definitely have to give them credit because they fought hard. Uh, the one thing, and I'm curious about your opinion on this, and again, I don't want to be too critical of guys, but after being there for three years, I'm a little surprised at how raw Kofi still is offensively. You see, he's he's got decent footwork, but he still just relies so much on that strength. Like you said, just planting his big ass down in the paint <laughs> and getting a rebound. But he sometimes the shots he put up, there's just no touch on him. The very flat, he'll, he'll completely miss the rim or – you know, just basically throw it off the backboard sometimes. <laughs> so I, I'm curious what you think when he matches up against somebody like Edie, who he's not really going to be able to push around. Granted, Edie's not a great defender, but he's not going to have to rely too much on athleticism in that one. No, Edie's one of the few guys can just wall up and make life hard for him if he wants to. Um, I don't know. I think it's a good point. I think maybe some of it is – you know, if it's working, so why worry about fixing something that ain't broke, but to make his game more appealing for the next level and to make him a more difficult guard, he's definitely got at least, at least be a threat to shoot from 12 feet, 15 feet. Like, and I hate to bring up the comparison all the time, but the only other player in the country that I can think of that's like him is Oscar. And you see Oscar now hitting 15, 17 footers and taking people off the bounce sometimes, right? Or even trying to bring up the ball for, um, fast breaks, which scares me to death sometimes. But uh, Oscar had a shot yesterday that was just great, 18 feet with a hand in his face and just buried it. And even Billis mentioned he was like, you could never imagine this happening at West Virginia. It was just the growth in his game has been amazing. So I'm wondering what it's like in practice, if they're just working on that stuff with him and he's not converting it or even trying it. I, I don't know. I think it all comes down to practice. I, it's probably stuff that we don't see or not able you know able to see or privileged <laughs> maybe it's him maybe he's just like oh, i'll just body up in the pose i don't know i don't know but i'm with you i think that eventually he's gonna have to learn another element to his game well and i mean you already seen him sort of run into that problem last year against loyola and and that's what i worry about going forward is if we run into somebody who can as you put it wall up against him and then just you know sort of give him a clinic and footwork on the uh, offensive end, that's going to be where Illinois may run into some trouble. That's I'm super excited for the matchup on Monday between oh, them and Purdue. Yeah, I think that – Getting to that one, just in a minute, I promise you. Um, Illinois, though, stays the number one team in the country in offensive rebounds in large part to Kofi. Um, they're ninth in offense. I think that surprises even me. They are another one of those teams that are both – 
in both categories in offensive defense and Ken Palm in the top 25 in both ninth and offense 10 or 22nd defense. They're shooting a blistering 38% from three, 16th in the nation. Um, this is a really good Illinois team that you guys got. Um, you're about to be tested in the next few games, but this is a really good team. I'm with you. I think Corbello needs what, – what's the timetable on him coming back? Do you know? Um, I had read earlier this week that he started practicing, but it's – you know, he's dealing with concussion symptoms still. So it's one of those things where, you know, he, he comes back to practice and then hasn't felt quite right a couple times. And so he stops practicing again. So as far as I know, there's not an exact timetable for his return. Okay. I think for Illinois, Corbello needs to get back for them to take that next step. Um, and I mean, I like Alfonso Plummer, right? He, he's going to win you a bunch of games. Sometimes with his decision-making, he's going he's gonna to hurt you. He's number one in the nation, though, in free throw percentage. He's shooting 97.9% from the free throw line, so that's good, or at least, you know, for eligible because you got to shoot so many to be eligible. I don't want to hear somebody from, oh, there's this kid from, um, from uh, you know, o- 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 Omaha that's two for two. I'm like, I don't care. you got to shoot a certain percent or shoot, you know, a certain amount. But very good Illini team, very good, big-time matchup coming up. Before we get to that, I've got two things before we get to the previews and everything else. One, I have a question for both of you. Peyton and I talked about it yesterday when I visited him, and uh, we talked a little bit. I think with the losses to Baylor this week, USC losing, I think everything is more wide open right now than it has been in a long time last year we kind of knew Gonzaga Baylor they were the teams you know it's normally like that normally one or two three I think this year and tell me what you think I think there's probably 10 teams as we sit here on January 20 or January 16th a legit 10 teams that you can make a case for that can win the national championship or, or at least make the final four this year Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, it, it's going to be a dogfight. I think there's there might even be more than 10 teams, but there's at least 10 that are capable of winning the national title. You probably have 20 to 25 that it wouldn't surprise me to see in the final four. Uh, again, we sort of talked about it last week, but there's just been so much inconsistency with everybody that it's really hard to sit here and say, I, I would bet money on that team to win. But I'm excited to see how it comes on conference play stretch. So let's list them off. The legit who we think. Um, We'll we'll just say, uh, we'll go around the table or however. Um, Let's start Gonzaga. Right. Of course. Right. Absolutely. Baylor still. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kansas. I would put Kansas in there. Yeah. Yeah. Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Purdue. Sadly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the longest and hardest thing on a Purdue basketball player is the Sweet 16, though. Right. Um, Auburn. Yes, yeah. definitely. Auburn would be my favorite right now. That, oof, that's t- I don't know if they'd be my favorite because I still like the Baylor makeup of them, but Auburn would be up there. Um, who else? Help me. UCLA still think that's a chance to get to a Final Four. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, 
Villanova, despite how they've started, when it comes to tournament time, they've got the right talent and mix. If they hit shots, I think they're still quality. Or I still think they can make a Final Four with the right matchups. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're going to bring them up because you're a fan. But uh, Kentucky, Kentucky's in there to, for me. If, throw, I was thinking it, yes. <laughs> I was thinking it. I mean, obviously, like you said, they're not going to be able to recreate performances like yesterday. But even if they get 70% of that out of Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington, they're going to be really tough to beat. I think the way they defend LSU is capable. Agreed. I think they're very yeah. capable. I I think that would be where we start to get to the fringe for me of capable of winning a title versus capable of making the final four. But I'm with you. And I think the other team, just based upon the way they play and how tough they are, because these are tough matchups in March, I think you can throw Wisconsin as at least a borderline final four team right now. Well, I think and, definitely. I would say Illinois also. I know, Phil, you're a fan of them, but. I, think. I was just about to throw them in there. I was like, I don't care if I sound like a homer. I think when they get Corbello back, they definitely are in the discussion. I'm with no, you. Absolutely. I would agree with that. I'm with you. And now if you, you want to go one more, I think the way they shoot the basketball and their style of play could be matchup problems in the tournament for teams that haven't seen them. I think Arizona's got the chance right now to make a Final Four. Yeah. I Again, I sort of see them – in that same profile as LSU. Um, and I think it's more of just how I viewed those teams coming into the year. And I haven't quite been able to get a hundred percent over it, but I see them as like sealing elite eight final four teams. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, but we just named off 14, 15 schools that we think are right in the final four conversation. It's so for yeah, you right here. It's my favorite team of all time, the Cinderella baby, because that's what March Madness is all about. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, God. Um, and who knows? You guys know it. Who knows what it'll look like a month from now when we get closer to March? We sit here on February 16th and be like, well, either maybe now it's down to like four teams because everybody's separated, or maybe it's more. Maybe we're like, fuck, this is crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, who uh, knows? No. You know, hey, the way college basketball is today, you never know. We may be having a uh, another Loyola or another, you know, multiple or Maryland, Baltimore, you know, county. You never know. It may be here. I think well, casual people just don't understand. And I've harped on this for four years now. Um, you see people like, like, oh, well, I'll use Kentucky because that's my team. And I've been hard on them as anybody when they need it. But, like, oh, all that talent Cal's had, and he's only got one title to show for it, and he's got four Final Fours. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like, should he have maybe had another title? Yeah. Yeah. 2010, we could have won the title with John Wall. Probably should have won the title, but we couldn't figure out a 1-3-1 against West Virginia. Um, the UConn years, we should have won at least one extra one there, et cetera, et cetera. However, people don't understand how hard it is to win six freaking games in March. Absolutely. I, I remember us having this discussion a few weeks ago, actually, somebody in the group talking about or complaining about Cal. And I said, Dean Smith won two titles in 30 years in North Carolina is considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. I mean, it's not like titles grow on trees. I think people get a little spoiled when they see, you know, what is it, five from Coach K, four or five. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 
it's as much luck as anything winning in the tournament. You have to have a great team and then you have to have great luck for six straight games. Yeah, all, all it takes is one bad game and your season's done. And I hate the aspect, too, because it's easy to look like, well, they didn't win a Final Four, or they didn't make a Final Four, they didn't win a title, they had a bad year. Like, some people would live, like, Kentucky goes 38-1, they would say that. Or, like, even last year, Gonzaga, I literally heard people would say, well, that's such a bad year. They had this great team, and they couldn't pull it off. I'm like, guys, they won fucking whatever it was, 30 games. They were unbeaten. They came one game short. That's a good year. That's a really good year. You just didn't win the title. Yeah. Only one was that the 38 and one year with uh, Wisconsin. Say that again. I didn't hear you. I was saying, was that the uh, 38 and one year with Wisconsin knocking them off? Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I mean, and all it takes is one foul call or one mishap. And next thing you know, is momentum switch and, you know, switches. And it's like, you know, all that things. I mean, kid gets a little bit rattled. Or a little uneasy, things like that. Next thing you know, is you know the game plan falls apart, and teams start making runs, and it's over for. That's or why one shot. I, I mean, top. That's why our sport is better than any others, because unlike the NBA or MLB, normally the best team wins a series. Like if it's a five game, seven game series, the best team's going to win. Even if that team's the underdog coming in, if you can win four of seven, you're the better team. Yeah. But in this, Absolutely. in our sport here, and in this tournament, the the why it's so special is all it takes is one night, one night to get hot, or for your the favorite to get cold, and it's done. That's Yo. why it's so sp- fun and so special. That's the best part about college sports. That's why nobody will ever change my mind. That college sports are the absolute best thing to happen to sports. Period. It's because it is. You got, you know, a hundred, you know, hundred kids and they're in the stands or in the stands cheering. You got 15, you know, on the court, you know, on each side, seven and usually eight or whatever playing in the game. And next thing you know is, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. So let's transition real quick. I like to do some bracketology every couple of weeks, especially the closer we get. Again, we say it every time. Transparency here in January just don't mean nothing, but it's fun to go over and look at. So I'm going, I always like to go Lenardi. I say this all the time because Lenardi to me is my favorite one to look at. His most recent one came out Friday, was it Friday morning? Friday morning. So this is what we're going with. This doesn't take account all the shit that happened yesterday. Um, His last four buys is Marquette, St. Mary's, Mississippi State, last four in Minnesota, UAB, Wake Forest, UCF. First four outs, Memphis, which they're going to drop. Virginia Tech, TCU, and Texas A&M, they should be in. Next four outs Tech are Michigan, St. Bonnie, which has been very disappointing, uh, Boise State, and Murray State. Before we get into the, kind of the one seeds, of those list of teams I talked about, anything stand out to you guys right now? Well, I definitely think uh, Mississippi State, would probably be safely in if he he redid that again this morning after that Alabama win last night. I was actually just looking at their record earlier, um, and uh, they have a solid resume right now. But that would be the only thing that really jumps out to me. Something yeah. I would absolutely say is Minnesota, uh, a team that lost what almost all but two or three scholarship athletes and so there and came coach. back. Yeah, brand new coach. I mean, completely just changed the face of the program. They're coming out. Um, you know, when Indiana played against them the other night, it was, you know, that was one of the big discussions was just talking about, 
the fact that, you know, they, uh, they had a winning record. We're out competing with some teams and, you know, next thing you know is it's like, you know, they, uh, they are, they're hundred percent a uh, shock. Now they're nine and nine, but it's like they get a couple key wins against teams underneath them in the big 10 and, you know, they're ready to roll. So. He was one of my shout outs about a month ago. Um, The job he's doing at Minnesota for all those reasons you said, it cannot be undersold because that is a hard thing to do. And he's picked up the ball and ran with it. The fact that they're even in on the bubble alone, let it be the last four in is nothing short of remarkable. That's like big 10 coach of the year quality shit right there. Um, Yeah, I said it wrong. Sorry. They're 10 and four. I said they're actually on the wrong standings near it. I think the only discussion I would have, and it should be in the new updated one is Texas A&M should be in the tournament now. Um, Agreed. Not to be, I know they don't necessarily have like that big quality win yet, the big quad one, I guess, but I think they look more like a tournament team than, you know, some others attend, but let's go into his bracket. The one seeds would, as of Friday morning was Baylor, Auburn, Arizona, Gonzaga, Looking at these brackets, let's go through the South first real quick. You would have Baylor, the one, an 8-9 matchup of Indiana-BYU would be fucking bonkers. <laughs> um, Indiana's great defense against BYU's high-powered offense. You know, who wins that matchup? That would be hell of a clash. You have five Alabama, four USC, six Texas versus 11 St. Mary's. That's a, that's a hell of a matchup struggle win right there. Three, Wisconsin. Seven, UConn versus 10, Davidson would be fun. And then the two, LSU versus 15, Liberty. I think of all the of all the brackets that he has potentially, this would be the most wide open one, but also in a weird sense, the most one that would favor Baylor to make a final four push because, I mean, Indiana, BYU, they'd play the winner of that. That would be tremendous. Alabama's got potential to get hot. USC's got the athleticism and length. Texas has got all the talent they haven't figured out. Wisconsin, we know how tough they are. And then LSU at the bottom, that great defense. But if you're looking at that, if you were a Baylor fan, shit, you would take that bracket. Watch out if that were the matchup. I'd be surprised if they were maybe that low. But Liberty has a stud guard named uh, Darius McGee. Yeah, went went for 48 yesterday and uh, was just unstoppable. Yeah. And those are the kind of guys where, you know, you were mentioning it in playoff series in the NBA, but you see it in the NCAA tournament too. If you have the best player on the floor, you know, you can see upsets with any of seeds. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. All you need in college is a star and a couple key pieces around him. That's it. Look what Wofford did a few years ago. I know Kentucky ultimately beat him, but remember what Fletcher McGee was doing hitting all them threes, and he had guys around him that could shoot. The same way with the Steph Curry at Davidson. Well, you know? look at Max Aismas last year. That's right. That's right. Him and Kevin O'Banner. Um, but looking at that, if this was the makeshift, you know, if this was the real South region, um, Corey, your Hoosiers are an eight seed. I think they're a little better than an eight seed right now. I know they got a couple more quality wins to bump that lineup, but – that's a tough road to hoe, but at the same time, kind of favorable because normally defense wins out over offense. Um, I think if you could, if this was the real deal, you kept BYU off the three-point line, I could see IU matching up with Baylor in the second round. And I honestly, hand to God, if that was the true deal, I think IU matches up well with Baylor. Yeah, no, absolutely. The shot blocking down low, 
with Trace Jackson Davis, the overall defensive complexity out of the three-point line. I mean, opponents are shooting, what was the stat, 28% right now, I think it was. You set off Kim Pong, and it's like, you know, right there knocking, you know, BYU a, a top, you know, a great shooting team out of that, you know, since. And then going against the guard play and, you know, the bigs again with Baylor, I think, you know, just overall, you know, it comes down to just a little bit of controlling the ball and, you know, what they can do to put it together. I honestly, I'll be excited for it. I think uh, I have the, I think they have the, uh, the capability of being a little bit higher seed, but overall, man, that would be a blast. I think you guys let me know what you think too. I think the, if it was Baylor, Indiana in the second round, Indiana's got the size to match up with Baylor. I think the one thing, and you know, it, um, Baylor, their defense is great too. And their physicality is maybe a little tougher than Indiana. Um, turning IU over and getting easy buckets, I think would be the big concern for IU in that theoretical matchup. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is the only thing I'd be concerned with because Indiana already struggles with it a little bit is their guards being able to withstand the pressure of Baylor defensively. You said it wrong, Phil. You said a little bit. It's a lot of bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be I'll be critical on them. <laughs> it's fine. The other matchups, anything in that region, other potential if this was real that would stand out to you guys? Because um, I'm looking. There's a couple matchups I think would be extremely fun. I think it would be interesting to see uh, LSU against uh, – why am I not able to – we're literally just talking about – against uh, Baylor, excuse me, gosh. Um, both just so physical. LSU struggles to score a little bit, which worries me again with the just Baylor turning them over. But I think LSU actually might be able to hang with them in a defensive slugfest. Yeah, if the top – if the top seeds, if it went all chalk, that region would be called – it wouldn't be the south anymore. It would be called the stuck-in-the-mud region because you'd have Baylor versus USC and you'd have Wisconsin versus LSU. And in those games, it would be the first one to 50 wins, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I can't disagree with that at all. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they're all physical. They all play about the same style. It'd be fun, like tactically, but offense would probably be at a premium. It it would kind of remind me of Baylor's run through the tournament last year, where just they separate themselves a little bit with their athleticism over some teams. Because I mean, they sort of ran into the same deal out, you know, running into Arkansas, like a very similar team to them. But just Baylor has a higher level of athlete than any of those teams that we just mentioned. I agree with that. Let's go to the Midwest. Uh, right now he has uh, Lenardi, that is, pronouns, pal. Um, Auburn, the one. Um, Loyola, Chicago, the eight. Miami, Florida, nine. Illinois, the five. <laughs> Illinois Oof. versus Iona, the five, 12. Have fun. Oh, Jesus. Houston, the four. Providence, six. Purdue, three. Iowa, Creighton, seven, ten. And Kansas is a two. Oh, boy. Um Man, all I'm looking at right there is a potential Purdue-Kansas Sweet 16 matchup. Ooh, that could be interesting. I got my eye on uh, Loyola and that eight seed again this year. Could be a, a tough matchup for the one in the second round. Oh, yeah, that'd be Auburn, too, because the way they like to defend. 
Yeah, I feel I feel bad for any one seed that draws them in the second round now after the horror show that was Illinois last year. Boy, they put the clamps on them. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was disappointed. I had Illinois going to the Final Four. I thought for sure it'd be them and Alabama. Um, speaking of Illinois, in this projected mock dra- or mock uh, bracketology, your boys are five seed, but you've got Rick Pitino and Iona as the twelve. This whole bracket is rough. I mean, you got Houston and Oakland in the four thirteen. Providence is the six seed. Purdue is the three. Literally, this entire bracket, Furman is the 14 seed, one of the best mid-majors in the country. I mean – Hey, what, what conference are they from? SoCon, baby. That's right, my boy. <laughs> the SoCon? SoCon, for my money, is the best mid-major conference in basketball, oh, but hey. it's neither I here nor you, there. I told you guys last week, and they're, you know, long-time ECB listeners know my love for the SoCon. But I would – if this bracket came out this way, I would absolutely hate to be – stuck in here with Illinois as the five. I mean, just looking up and down it, there's really not a bad team. Obviously Nichols, I don't know a whole lot about, but you got Iowa as the seven and Creighton as the 10. You talked about it last week. Creighton is inconsistent, but at their best can beat anybody. Kansas, is, it, it's just a, a rough, rough bracket. Yeah. Uh, My gosh. <laughs> brutal. And we didn't even talk talk about Houston earlier when we talked about potential final four teams, but no, them as a four seed would be crazy. The reason I left them off though, we mentioned though last week is, I mean, they're down their two best players the rest of the year. I, I know they're holding on, but I think that's eventually going to come back to bite them when they play some really good teams. They may not get it in the AAC now with Memphis being the way they are in Cincinnati, but they get to tournament time. They're going to miss those guys. They're going to miss them. So I think it's going to be interesting to be determined on Houston. If they can manage without in the tournament and win a couple games, then okay. But I think that, like, if they made it to Illinois, say they, you know, Illinois, Houston won that theoretical game, got to each other in the second round. I think or Illinois beats them because Illinois has got the better backcourt at that point and they've got a superstar in the paint that they can throw the ball to. I think that's a mismatch. How would you feel if you're Auburn potentially having, we already talked about Loyola Chicago, but Miami, I mean, Miami could compete for the ACC title. I, dude, look at Auburn's potential run to a final four. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it'd be a cakewalk more than likely in that first game. Then you get Loyola or Miami and then you get either Illinois or Houston and then either probably Purdue or Kansas. And that's not even mentioning Providence, who I don't think they do now, but had the most Q1 wins coming into the week. Nuts. Let's go down to the East and Philadelphia. The one seed now is Arizona. They've jumped up a line. Um, Eight, North Carolina against nine, Colorado State. That has upset written all over it. Colorado State's really good this year. Um, Five, Tennessee. Hold on a second. Excuse me, guys. Uh, Four, Michigan State. Six, Iowa State. Three, Villanova, seven, West Virginia, two, Duke. That's a brutal region on paper. Yeah, another – I mean, I feel like we're going to say this about every region, but UNC is the eight. I I actually think UNC is probably starting to play their best basketball, so I think they'll end up being higher than an eight. But 
Wake Forest in the 12 slot, that would be a, a really tough matchup for Tennessee. Alondis Williams has been awesome for Wake Forest. I think he's the only player in the country who's averaging uh, 25 and 5. Um, Iowa State as a six. Some of these teams, I look at it and I'm like, man, they have to be underseeded. But then I look at it also and I'm like, well, who would you rank them over? There's just so much depth in the country right now. Yeah, it's weird that Iowa State is as good as they are in the six. And then you look at Tennessee and uh, Villanova as being ranked that much higher than them. Um, it doesn't really make sense. But on paper, because, again, we're talking about, you know, two months away, Arizona, North Carolina, second round could be fun. Tennessee, Michigan State, maybe. Iowa State, Villanova, West Virginia against Duke. That's a damn good region right there. How about a Villanova-Duke in Philadelphia Sweet 16 matchup? I Honestly, if Villanova has Gillespie in that game, I would probably have to pick Villanova. So much veteran you know, talent on that team. But Gillespie's the make-or-break piece for them. How about this in this theoretical bracket? It's never happened, and wouldn't it be something crazy if Coach K's final ride in the Elite Eight, you had North Carolina, Duke, winner goes to the Final Four. They've never met an NCAA tournament. That would be crazy around where I'm from. <laughs> that would be literally all they would talk about on the sports radio leading up to the week. Would be North Carolina, North Carolina, could go to the Final Four and get slaughtered by 50. But Hubert Davis would have that in his back pocket, and North Carolina fans would talk about that for the rest of their lives if they could be the one to end Coach K's run in the NCAA tournament. Oh, absolutely. I honestly think some North Carolina fans would probably rather have that than a national championship. We've got North Carolina people listening to us in the group, moderators, summer and Sam Hildebrand, amongst others, they're just some of my really good friends, moderators, been with me since day one. Huge North Carolina fans. I know you guys are listening. Let us know what you would think about that. If North Carolina could take down Duke and end Coach K's run in the lead eight, and then you guys get slaughtered in the final four, would you live with that and be okay with that? That would be something wild. Let's go to the other bracket. We have one Gonzaga, eight, nine matchup with Oklahoma, San Diego State. Um, Xavier's to five. Kentucky's to four. Uh, Ole Miss – or, sorry, Ohio State to six. Texas Tech, three. Seton Hall, seven. And UCLA, two. I mean, as a Kentucky fan, I don't really want to be in Gonzaga's region, especially considering we'd have to play them Sweet 16. Shit, we'd have to play Xavier more than likely in the second round. I mean, that'd be a tough road to hoe for us. Potentially Xavier's second round. Ohio would be tough. We've played them already, but Ohio is very good with Jason Carter. So Ohio, Xavier, Gonzaga, and then probably UCLA to go to the freaking Final Four. Jesus. That, that would absolutely, absolutely be a tough road. And we sort of, you know, we alluded to it when we started listing off all the potential Final Four teams, but seeing it on, you know, in the bracket, there's no one in the country is going to have an easy road to get to this final four. You're going to have to earn your way. And it's, gosh, it's going to be nuts, man. I, I'm just looking at this bracket now is getting me so excited for March. Oh, I know. I know. I know. But before we get too excited, let's go ahead and pull back. Let's go ahead and start wrapping things up. And we got some big time clashes this week. Obviously, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. 
So we have this week, I call it the week of the Big Ten because of the games we're going to preview, three of them are Big Ten massive clashes. Um, let's start with tomorrow um, or today if you're listening to us on Monday. And it's an afternoon tip game because it is an MLK day. Um, number seven, Purdue at number 25, Illinois. Your boys get a strong challenge in the assembly hall over in Illinois. <laughs> Some say maybe not the real one, but over in Champaign. Um, what time did you say this tip was? Is it like two? It's noon, I think. Noon, Okay. So it's going to be a weird tip time. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, shoot, this would be like a tournament tip if you get an early game. So I'll let you take the first volley, man. What you feeling? How are you feeling coming into this one? You alluded to a little bit Kofi versus Zach Eady matchup. Um, what's your thoughts? Um, I think it's the Big Ten game of the year so far. We'll just start there. I'm really nervous to see how, you know, we already mentioned it, how Eady and Kofi match up. Um, I was really surprised actually when you mentioned the stat earlier about Illinois being 16th in the nation shooting because I've mentioned that their shot selection just at times is horrible. So I think it could be better than that. Um, if I had to bet on it, I would probably take Purdue actually, but I feel like that's just the, the paranoid Illinois fan in me saying, oh, they're going to find a way to, to lose a big game. So curious to hear what y'all have to say. We'll go to the non-Purdue fan, being an IU guy himself, and uh, Corey over there. Corey, what, what's your thoughts? Uh, you're, let's put on your analytical hat, not your fan hat, because that's what we try to do. We have our fan side, too, which is fine. But put on your analyst hat. What's, going into tomorrow afternoon, 12 p.m., um, on Fox, Purdue, Illinois, how are you feeling about this one? I tell you, the firepower that uh, Purdue has and three All-American candidates is just unreal with, you know, Ivy, Williams, Edie. It's like, hell, I tell you, it's just going to be uh, an unreal matchup for Illinois. Um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, I mean, I just don't know how well, you know, the, the two, uh, you know, of Kofi and uh, uh, I just went blank uh, for Illinois. Frazier? Yo, Frazier. Uh, I don't know how I can forget Frazier. Uh, you know, how well those two can sit there and, you know, handle the overall firepower. I think uh, I think it's definitely going to be a good matchup, especially having them, you know, in Illinois first. But, you know, overall, it's just going to be uh, – I think it's going to be one of those battles for the day for sure. Uh, I know where I'll be. Luckily, I'm in quarantine still, so I got a nice, easy day of watching some college basketball and enjoying. But man, it's going to—it's uh, definitely going to be a great game. It's going to be something that's going to be fun. And uh, I tell you, I don't know—I don't know if Illinois will have enough, but I'm looking forward to it. So, who is your who is your official prediction? Uh, I think uh, I think Purdue squeaks one out. Uh, I think it's going to be like a 72-66 game. I think it's going to be pretty tight. So I think you're on the mark in some aspects. So Purdue's got the two losses on the year. They're the number two offense in Ken Palm. Gonzaga just passed them. Ironically, they're 71st in defense. We talked about last week how weird that is considering Purdue's always under Matt Painter hung their hat on defense. In their two losses, they've been held to under 70 points. But in their two road games, they've only played two true road games this year. They lost the first one to Rutgers, and they barely last Saturday squeaked out one against Penn State. It took a late to kind of pull away. They scored 74 against Penn State, 68 against Rutgers. 
What I'm getting at is I think going to Illinois in a hostile noon environment, more than likely, um, it's going to be a rowdy place to play. Illinois is going to try to rough them up. I think Illinois has just got to hang around. I think Illinois definitely, if you told me Illinois wins by 10, it wouldn't surprise me necessarily, but I think Illinois has got to just hang around. Purdue shooting 40% from three. That's fifth in the nation. Illinois has to keep Purdue off the three-point line. Ken Palm actually favors the Illini by two in this game, 78-76. What I say Illinois was defending the three. Illinois is allowing teams to shoot 31.9%. I think that's a huge part of the game right there. Um, If Purdue can get off and get going early, let Ivy go downhill and create anything he wants and get Sasha Stefanovic and everybody else hitting threes, I think it's a long afternoon for Illinois. However, I think Illinois can hang around. And like I mentioned, Purdue's a different team when they go on the road. Even though they won one, lost one, it's a different ball club playing it on the road. Oh, man, I think this is going to be a good one. I think this is going to be a real good one. Um, man, I don't know. I, 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 I'll say Purdue. Man, I don't know. I think it's going to be good. I say Purdue wins like 71-70. I think – I don't know. I think at the end of the day, if it's a toss-up, you go with who has the best player on the floor. I think Jaden Ivey is going to be the best player on the floor at any given time. I'm going to go Purdue by one, but I think it's going to be a good one. Um, I think I think you guys are both right on the money there. It's, it's going to be a tight game either way it goes, but you can't pick against Ivey. Let's stay with Purdue because they also play the first of two – of the rivalry games on Thursday evening. They stay on the road, but they go down to Bloomington to play the Indiana Hoosiers. IU has not beaten Purdue. I think it's been like five years now. It's been a long time since the Hoosiers have came out on top against the Boilermakers. Purdue has had their number, has stretched the lead out in the overall series. Indiana, this is the game. If Indiana is to prove themselves that they are worthy of being so-called back and in contention moving forward under the Mike Woodson era and to make a statement that, Hey, we're going to make the tournament this year and everything else. You got to get this game because both of them are right there near each other in the big 10 standings. I think they're like sixth and seventh respectfully. Um, This is a big one for Indiana, Um, especially catching Purdue coming, maybe reeling coming off Illinois. You got to get them at home because I don't think you're going to beat them at Mackey arena in a few weeks. I'm going to say IU finds a way to win this game. I don't know how. I don't know why. Um, Purdue's going to – got the bodies. They're going to wall up TJD. TJD's going to have to be a facilitator, and he's going to have to prove that he can – he's worked on the jump shot, step out, can hit a, you know, 15, even a 20-footer, maybe on a pick and pop, and open the middle of the paint against Purdue's defense and push the ball. Get up and down the floor – make Purdue make some mistakes and get yourself some easy ones. I think Indiana's backcourt has to be solid. Xavier Johnson has got to be good. They got to get something from a guy like Tamar Bates. I think there's a lot that goes into it, but something in my gut's telling me Indiana is finally going to snap the streak. I've got Indiana winning in a high scoring game, Um, even though their defense is really good. I think this is going to be one they win in a high scoring affair. Um, I think Indiana wins like 85, 82. Don't ask me why. And my 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 brains tell me pick Purdue because they're the better team um, and they're the better offense. But something tells me this is the year Indiana does it. I'll go ahead and take this real quick so uh, Corey can get into it. But 
I'm actually going to pick Indiana too. I think part of it for me depends on what happens in the Purdue Illinois game on Monday, but that's, that's a big, you know, a big emotional game for them on Monday. Obviously the Indiana game is huge for them too as a rivalry game, but I just think Trace Jackson Davis is he's, he's going to have a game. He's going to have one of those kind of coming out parties. You know, we talk about him in the big 10. We talk about him on this podcast. I'm not sure that nationally he's super known. This game would sort of get him, get him to that level. And uh, yeah, I think, Mike Woodson puts the suit on this time and, uh, and they take the win. Do you think they roll Bob Knight out for this one? Cause I think they do. That would be the time to do it. And, you know, Woodson's actually been able to get him back for some of the functions and stuff. I, that's a good call. I think. I think they roll him out for this game. And uh, let me throw a score out there real quick. I'm going to say 76, 70. All right, Mr. Hoosier, take it away. Here we go. All I got to say is 11 and 0, baby. <laughs> oh, Assembly Hall, the man, the magic, the atmosphere of college basketball is right there in Bloomington, Indiana. I absolutely love it. You know, I, uh, I tell you, this is the matchup that I absolutely miss. I had season tickets. That was my first big boy purchase was I bought season tickets when I got out of college and the win streak uh, began. So <clears throat> I think uh, Mike Woodson's in there kind of, you know, coming into this game, bringing back the, uh, the old hard uh, fight of uh, Bob Knight days. And they're coming back and taking this one straight to the heart. He's going to sit there and wear the suit. He's going to sit there and have Xavier Johnson locked in, ready to sit there and drive and kick. He's going to have Trace Jackson Davis ready to pick and pop. He's going to have it all. Man, I tell you what, I'm so excited for this matchup. This is the one. This is the year that I sit there and can't wait for, for sure. So I think uh, I think the Indiana Hoosiers should come out ready to play. I think they sit there and come out, give a little bit of a slap early to Purdue that they're not ready for. I don't think they're going to be completely, you know, uh, ex- exactly uh, expecting Indiana to come out with a fight. I think Indiana goes up a little bit early. I think Purdue claws back about halftime. They go into the uh, locker room with a little bit of lead, but I think Indiana comes back. The defense, the tenacity, everything is right there for the second half. And I think Indiana sneaks it out 74 to 71. Oh, boy. I am so pumped up now. How in the hell can you not be after hearing that? <laughs> oh, my God. You can tell he's a coach. Uh, somebody needs to clip that right there so we can just share that around social media. That that was great. That was great. Um, let's, dude, I'm fired up. Fuck it. Is it Thursday? <laughs> Thursday, that's my last night in quarantine. I'm going to be sitting here in front of the TV part. I'm going to have my bowl of popcorn. I'm going to have my Gatorade. I'm going to be sitting here ready to roll because it's going to be the freaking game. Let's go. <laughs> it's a top five rivalry in college basketball, too. I don't care what nobody says. Indiana-Purdue is – and for Indiana to make it an even better rivalry again, they got to win one. So, um, so, let's stay in the Big Ten real quick on the next night on Friday night. Number 10, Michigan State at number 13, Wisconsin. Everybody knows the Cole Center is a tough-ass place to go get a win. Um, Phil? Said it last week. I'll say it again. I'm not going to pick uh, against Wisconsin at home. It's really impressed with them this week. Got a win with uh, Johnny Davis not playing his best at all. You know, Greg Gard's just a great coach. He hasn't playing that typical Wisconsin style of basketball. I'm going to take Wisconsin here. 66-58. Corey? Yeah, I tell you, this is going to be a great matchup, too. 
do the uh, Spartans respond against the top tier team after sitting there getting a upsetting loss at home? I know uh, they're off until then. They're going to sit there and come out. They're going to be prepared. I'm going against the odds. I'm taking Michigan State and the Cole Center. They're going to sit there and come back and sit there and claw one out. I think it's going to be a low scoring, hard effect or hard game. It's going to be 68 63. Ooh, so let me be the tiebreaker. Um, it's hard to bet against Tom Izzo, but I'm with you. I think this Wisconsin team's got something about them. Johnny Davis did not play well the other night, and they still got the dub. I think this is one of those games um, being a marquee game on a Friday night, you know, not a lot going on. I think this is a game where he comes out with another 30 point classic. I got Wisconsin protecting home court yet again. And then let's go to the big one this week, or at least in my eyes, the big one on Saturday, number 18, Kentucky at number four, Auburn. I will go and take first volley on this one since it's kind of near to me. We talked about it a little bit. Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. I think you're even going to allude to the Walker Kessler, Oscar Sheway individual matchup inside in the paint. I think it's, again, kind of producing on the road. Kentucky on the road's not been the same club as they are inside Rupp Arena or on a neutral floor. I think if the Cats can withstand Auburn's pressure, because they are a top 15 defense as well, to complement their offense. I think if the Cats can take care of the basketball, get in their sets, and actually run their sets, not waste the shot clock because the defense is too intense, and get in their sets early, find Grady on the, the baseline cuts, go into Oscar, do what they normally do, and withstand the initial Auburn pressure – I think Kentucky can win this game. However, if they start turning the ball over and throwing the ball away and live ball turnovers, especially against a team like Auburn, are going to be highlight ESPN dunks and threes. It's just as plain as simple as that. Auburn's fans have traveled well this year. Bruce Pearl even mentioned a couple days ago that they're starting to remind him of Kentucky fans because the way, like when they went to Alabama, they just took over the building, it felt like. Um, They did it last night at Ole Miss. Their fans are going to be amped up, ready to go. It's going to be a magical building that night on Saturday. I think Kentucky's got to avoid live ball turnovers. Auburn is the better team on paper right now. Um, Man, 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 man. I don't know. Obviously, you know what my heart wants to say. My heart wants to say Kentucky. But for the sake of fairness and for the sake of – I don't know what else you want to call professionalism. I'm going to say Auburn wins. I'm going to say that they turn us over a few many, too many times and down the stretch. I think it's still going to be close, kind of like the LSU game. I think down the stretch, though, Auburn with a guy like Wendell Green or Jabari Smith, again, it goes back to the best player on the floor. Jabari Smith's going to be the best talent on the floor at any time he wants there needs to be. I think down the stretch you'll see Auburn hit a three or two to give them just enough cushion, maybe a couple free throws. I'll say Auburn 89, Kentucky 87. But trust me, in my heart, I believe Kentucky can win, and I hope the Cats can win. But just for the sake of fairness, I'll say Auburn wins 89-87. All right, yeah, I'm super excited for this one, too. This is going to be one of the most fun games of the week. Uh, I am going to talk a little bit about that Oscar T Kessler matchup. I think it favors Kentucky and Oscar T um, Kessler's a little bit bigger, but Oscar has more athleticism as a better defender. So I think he gives Kentucky the advantage there. 
Uh, like you said, Jabari Smith's going to be the best player on the floor at any given time. But I think Kentucky pulls this one out, actually. I think Ty Ty Washington, Severe Wheeler are enough. They play another big game. Um, I do think it's going to be close. I think Wendell Green Jr. is going to be awesome. Um, I see it as one of those games that this sort of Kentucky, you know, this this past week for Kentucky was their real coming out party. But I think this one is the uh, the matchup where people start to see how good they are, national title contender. So I go Kentucky. 90 to 85 and just a fast-paced fun one well i appreciate you speaking on my heart for me (laughs) (laughs) oh man you leave it up to mr indiana to sit there and be the deciding factor wow no all right i got let's see here i think kentucky sits there and comes out plays firm i think ty ty washington uh oscar all those guys play well but i don't think they have enough to sit there and keep up with uh auburn just kidding i definitely got kentucky winning this one 91 to 83 i think it's going to be a high high flying game a lot of excitement a lot of uh cheering going on a lot of sit there and you know uh fast-paced offense i think it's gonna be one happy game like uh like you said bruce pearl's gonna be in it john calipari's gonna be in it i think it's gonna be one heck of a game but i think uk pulls it out 91 83 before we move on and start rounding things up with sinking ships and the last couple segments, at the end of Saturday, I want to give an answer for both. Auburn wins. What's the narrative after the game? How will the narrative be if and when Auburn wins? What do you think all of us on the national media will look and say about Auburn? I think, just... uh, I think they're already going to be number one going into this week or yeah going into this week, and so I think it solidifies them as the number one team in the country. Say, so, yeah, I think it puts a staple in them being a national championship contender 100%. I think it just, you know, definitely puts that staple in the coffin that they're definitely there. They're definitely for real, and I think there's somebody to be reckoned with. Yeah, I think you guys are right. I think the, the narrative will be from all of us, Auburn wins this game, is that that is your national championship favorite right there. I think Kentucky wins, and we'll do the Kentucky. I think Kentucky goes into the Plains and beats Auburn. I think the national narrative, as long as this is assuming they beat Texas A&M as well, I think the national narrative, you start looking at the Cats and thinking, here they fucking go. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, I think uh, assuming they get that Texas A&M win, beating Auburn on the road is just another huge feather in their cap as far as their resume goes. I think at that point you'd have to start discussing them getting on the verge of uh, number one seed consideration. So I'll definitely take it as, you know, they're the real deal. They're here right now. You know, the biggest thing is, can they, uh, can they keep it rolling and keep it going, you know, for the, uh, the most important time of the year, they're getting hot in January. Can they keep it rolling all the way through March? I think that's fair enough. Let's start rounding this show out guys. Uh, let's do the sinking ship shooting star segment. Uh, Long-time people obviously know this segment. This is your guys' first time, so this will be fun. Let's start with our number one team on the sinking ships. Fellas, we got to go to Memphis. Uh, Terrible loss yesterday against um, East Carolina after up, I think, what, 14 points there, right? Yeah, 14 at the half. 14. Imani Bates, 13 points at halftime. I I just don't get them, man. They've got as much talent on their roster as anybody does in the country, and I really believe that. They've got so much talent. They just cannot put it together. And it's going to be another year that they miss out on the tournament, and it's sad. So, 
the next one's going to be Texas and uh, they're still ranked as of now. I don't think they will be when the new rankings come out, but they can't buy a big win. You look at every big game on their schedule has been a loss. Um, they don't really have any quality wins. They don't, they don't have any terrible losses either, but there's, you know, if you have tournament expectations, there's something to be said for not being able to beat a single tournament team. And that's the point they're at right now. Yeah. So for the third one, I definitely got, what were you saying? Sorry. I was going to lead you into it. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say for the third one, I'll definitely say is Alabama. They had so much hype after knocking off uh, Gonzaga earlier in the year and so much going for them. And it's just been a huge letdown of just, you know, missed opportunities and taking another hard loss this weekend. What was it, a 64 62? Yeah, Mississippi State beat them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mississippi State. Yeah, I was just saying, just taking back to back losses again. And it just kind of seems like the uh, the ship is off for or uh, offline and kind of just faltering. And, it's like, you know, how long or how much further they continue to fall because it's just not looking good for them right now. And then on the flip side of things, we got our shooting stars. These are teams over the last couple of weeks that have really raised their profile nationally. And I guess start with Texas Tech. Throw out the loss at Kansas State. That's a bad loss, but it's also – it was their third game in five days or four and six or whatever. They basically played an NBA schedule this week, and they knocked off some massive teams here lately. They beat Kansas last week we talked about. All they do is turn around a couple days later and beat Baylor. They've got some big wins. They're playing better. Mark Adams is in contention for National Coach of the Year right now, um, not just the Big 12. Texas Tech, they were do, they beat Kansas last week without two of their top players. Their defense is strong. They're connected. This is a team on the rise that will contend apparently now for the Big 12 and for sure tournament team. Texas Tech is a, a – under Mark Adams, they're doing way better than any of us thought they would. So props to Texas Tech on that. Yeah, next up uh, we got my boys, the Illini. And, you know, they're ranked number 11 in Ken Palm right now, as Josh said earlier, ranked in the top 25 in both offense and defense. Had a rough start to the year, but uh, won six in a row, so they're just creeping back into the top 25 polls now. Uh, would expect them to climb a little bit more this week after two Big Ten wins, and uh, we'll, we'll really see where they're at as a team with this Purdue game on Monday. I mean, even if they don't win, just if they're able to be competitive, uh, I, I think there's no moral victories in college basketball, but I would come away from that feeling okay. Absolutely. And then, Corey, you got the third and final shooting star team? Yeah, the third uh, final shooting star team is definitely the Mr. UCLA, the flying green of the Ducks fly together, Oregon. Five <laughs> winners of five straight games, and they're you know coming together, winning two huge games down in – beating UCLA in overtime and then coming together with another win, knocking off on back-to-back losses, USC. I tell you, they're playing better and better. They suffered a couple tough losses early in the year, and I tell you, they're going to sit there and continue to roll, baby, because they have some key matchups that I think they're favored in, and it's just going to get better. Yeah, we talked about it, man. Um, Tough start to the season, and then two huge wins in L.A. against UCLA and USC in top five teams. Then you talked about actually you brought it up with their upcoming schedule, the next four at home, next six games being very favorable. Um, Oregon's a team that we talked about earlier. 
you might want to keep an eye on the ducks from here on out. But let's start wrapping this thing up. We got our shout outs for the week. I'll start with mine. My first shout out goes to Wendell Green from Auburn. We talked about him when we spoke Auburn earlier, but the kid coming over from East Kentucky, he is, in my opinion, the glue for this Auburn Tigers ball club. Hitting big threes when needed, getting to the rim, facilitating, locking teams up at 5'11". He's been a, a wonderful revelation, if you will, for Auburn. So shout out to Wendell Green. My other one, Chris Murray, the, uh, the twin brother of player of the year candidate, Keegan Murray. He's the Murray that goes off against Indiana, goes for 29 in their win at home against um, IU the other night. Kind of shows up as a player of the year brother there. So good job from Chris Murray. And my third and final shout out. It's funny you mentioned him earlier when we we're talking about bracketology because like shit. But my third and final shout out is Darius McGee from Liberty. Goes for 48 points in the win last night against Florida Gulf Coast. Eight of 14 from three. Darius McGee, 48. I'll have to check, but that's got to be season high across the nation this year or right towards the top. Big time numbers from the Liberty Guard. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that's had more than that in a game. But uh, I got three this week also, so I'll be quick. We got a Terquavion Smith, guard from NC State. He's a freshman. Um, wasn't a super, you know, under-the-radar guy, but not super highly touted either. He's averaging 17 points a game over his last five, had 19 against Duke yesterday. Uh, just didn't look scared at the moment. Coach K was raving about him after the game too. Um think if he comes back next year, definitely a player to watch for ACC player of the year. Then I uh, want to give a sort of local recruit a shout out, Jaden Epps out of Lincolnton High School uh, in North Carolina here, or Combine Academy, excuse me, in Lincolnton. Um, he's an Illinois commit, so super excited to have him. Four-star guy, I think he's ranked top 70, um, but had 26 points at the Hoopal Classic this weekend. So that was a big showcase for high school. We had a lot of uh, nationally ranked guys there. So that was a big game for him. And then uh, Mississippi State, just wanted to give them a shout out. I feel like they should be ranked this week. Um, they got two really good wins over veteran mid-major teams, the three and one in SEC play. And uh, former NC State player Shaq Moore has really been giving them a lot at the point. So that's what I got this week. Nice. I like that. I especially like the high school recruit one. I like that one. So. I got two for this week. Uh, the first one is uh, Jalen Hood-Scafino from uh, Indiana Recruit, highly touted, going to uh, be a huge uh, difference maker, getting a 6'4 guard in, but sitting there going for a triple-double in their uh, their uh, game this week. Sitting there was highly, highly talked about, love to see it. Then my next one was Chris uh, Collins from Northwestern, just sitting there pulling out the upset win, sitting there taking a game out of uh, East Lansing, getting the win. And on top of that, you know, they're nine and six now without a single loss and double figures. So they've been in a lot of games, but it's nice to see them finally put it together and get that, you know, that big win out and squeak it out for sure. Was that it? You got any more? Nope, that's it. Cool. I actually wanted to throw an extra one and a bonus one. It just came to me. Shout out to Arkansas. We all thought they were left for dead, and all they did was Saturday was prove us that we don't know shit about shit because they knock off LSU at home – or on the road, should I say, at LSU in Baton Rouge. Um, Arkansas has got the talent. They just hadn't been playing that way. And all of a sudden they go in and take down LSU, the number one defense in college basketball. So 
it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything anymore, apparently. But um, yeah, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Of course, check out and big time thanks to our sponsors, Manscaped. And I forgot to mention it. He'll kill me if I don't. But our longtime friend and sponsor of the show, um, J.R. Rowe, New View Painting. If you are in the state of Indiana or surrounding areas, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, or Kentucky, Hit up New View Painting for all your painting needs. Find JRO on Facebook. He'll quote you. And they do tremendous work. They'll do residential. They do a lot of commercial business. Um, New View Painting, official sponsor of Everything College Basketball. And again, guys, thank you so much. Um, we're Again, the three of us are building our relationship, our rapport. It's getting there, man. There's so much knowledge. There's so much fun that's been built towards off-air and in these um in these shows we're doing for you we've got all this content coming at you and as the closer we get to tournament time there's going to be more we're going to try to revive the youtube channel we've got the twitter facebook group go to the www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash everything college basketball um we're on that push to a thousand members you know, let's get the Twitter numbers up, everything. We can't thank you guys enough for the love and support for not only the last four seasons, but with the new crew moving forward, it's only going to be bigger, better from here on out. Um, we're excited. If you haven't dropped these gentlemen a follow yet as well on Twitter, go ahead and follow them. Phil, yours is NC Hoops Report. Is that right? Or Yes, sir. NC Hoops at NC Hoops Report. And then Corey's, yours is Coach – I forget yours. Coach C. Gardner. Coach C. Gardner, that's right. Go give them an individual follow. Go follow the Twitter page as well, ECB Podcast 10. And be on the lookout. Like I said, we're on our March to Madness. Um, continues on. But wrapping up episode 96, and for Phil and Corey, I am Josh Burton. I hope you guys enjoy this. Leave a like, five-star review, and all that. But until next week – Hope you guys have enjoyed another edition of Everything College Basketball Podcast. See you then.